London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning. Don't need to tell you how cold it is out there. Sorry, just move my little microphone up a little tiny bit. There you go. See myself better now. Mirrors on the microphone. I don't know why. There's no particular reason for it. We just had them installed. I think James Whale had them put in. Actually, it was remind me yesterday. We had such a, a nice day because uh, I had an interview to do uh, with uh, with Fred Weasley, who was really lovely. Who you'll be you'll hear. It, so how do I know it was Fred? Ah, I know. I know it was. I know he was Fred Weasley. He told me he played Fred Weasley, but he's now 26, and his brother. They're identical twins, but the good thing about them is, and we only interviewed one. We only interviewed one. Is that uh, their mum never dressed them identically, so they've all, so they've got their own identity. But they've only ever. It's it's, it's an interesting interview. But he's uh, he's appearing at the Pleasance Theatre in London. So what we'll do tomorrow? Play you a little clip of that, and then the full interview because he's only in for four days. But it was too good an opportunity to miss, you know, to talk about the Harry Potter films and the success and how they went and auditioned at the age of 14. And then they got a two-year contract. And then... No. Um, and then, after after two years, they then kept checking the books to see whether they were killed off or something, because they didn't know. And it went for 12 years. So it was it was lovely. It was really good. So a good interview yesterday. We've had to reschedule Petula Clark from yesterday, because I wasn't very well. And then, so then we had a meeting, and then after that, a load of us went out for a cup of coffee, and it's quite nice to do catch-up in this business, because, you know, you see everybody's name on the listings. So yesterday, I went out with Anthony Davis, Clive Bull, Nick Abbott, James Max, me, who else was there? Anthony Davis, Clive Bull, Nick Abbott, James Max, James Whale. And there's quite a, so we all went down to Pret-a-Manger and we all had a cup of coffee sitting on the pavement. The boys, we were the management. And it was, it was quite nice, actually. We sort of played... It was bitingly cold. It was so cold. But it was quite nice to play a little, little catch-up after the meeting. And that was quite good. So then yesterday I got home and I now think I've broken the bed. It distinctly lurched at some point during the night. And I've, so I looked at it, I sort of... I got out of bed quite early. And so when I go back today, I think we're going to be getting the screwdriver out. I think we're going to be sort of putting the bed back together again, reassembling. Uh, the good news is that Paul Gascoigne has now toddled off to America uh, after, we are told, a number of friends uh, paid. And, you know, nice so it is. I thought people would do this kind of thing quietly. You know, it's like David Beckham. He's donating his money to charity. It's, it's to gain maximum publicity. I shouldn't imagine that the people who've paid for Gaza's rehabilitation... It is, it's the last chance saloon. He's gone to America. Presumably, if he'd stayed in this country, he'd have been hounded by the press anyway. But do you see a pattern emerging? So, so people become footballers. Gaza was famous for crying, wearing women's breasts, singing with, you know, fog on the tines all main, all main, fog on the tines all main, all right, and all that kind of stuff, and generally being the buffoon, generally being the idiot... Then he goes off to play for various other people, then he comes back, and then he starts the never-ending road to drink and delusionment, I'm afraid. And he was drinking, and he used to go out with Chris Evans, and, uh, in fact, actually, Chris Evans, Danny Baker, and and Gascoigne were always out. They were always getting drunk, but some people handle it, and some people don't handle it. And quite clearly, Gascoigne went down the the way of not handling it. And I did ask the question yesterday on the programme, because he was living in a £1,600 a month flat in Bournemouth, a three-bedroom flat. And I said, but where's his money come from? And somebody said he got money from phone hacking. Well, he hasn't got it anymore, because three friends have had to pay for him to go to America. They paid for him to fly first class. 13 grand just on that. So they've given, I think, six grand a week is what they're, they're paying for his rehab. 
Uh, and hopefully he will come out and, and he will be better. I have a sneaking feeling that the future don't look that bright because he's so far gone that he might go in there and he might do that, but I think he'll come back. And what he needs, what anybody needs who's been through rehab, is you need the support system afterwards. No good sending him over there with a carer, and then, you know, and somebody who sits with him and everything else, and then you bring him back to this country, and then the carer goes off to do something else. It's almost like 24-hour wet nursing. You have to do it, because it's the only thing that's going to keep him alive, because he'll sit at home, he'll twiddle his thumbs, if he hasn't got any work and he appears not to have very much work, he'll nip down the offie and he's back on it again. George Best, the same. George Best used to take these tablets, I think, which stopped him drinking. Pfft, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He carried on drinking. That's what killed him. And so we'll have to wait and see. You know, I mean, there's a limit to how many times people can put their hands in their pocket and say, listen, you know, all right, well, we'll help you out, but this is your last, last chance saloon, Gaza. That it's not a joke anymore. If you carry on drinking, I don't know what you can say to somebody to stop them drinking. I don't think there's any answer, is there? I don't think there is. It's like people who want to stop smoking. There's many of you listening would probably love to stop smoking, but you go, I like it too much. I like smoking. And even if your doctor said you're going to, um, you're going to die if you carry on smoking, you kind of go, well, I'm going to die. And I don't think you worry about it. I don't think people think about that. Otherwise, you know, people wouldn't be smoking because you are going to die. But it doesn't make any difference whether I say it or your doctor says it or your family say it. Well, your godchild, I can remember my, my godchildren years ago, they used to do, they used to do photographs, uh, not photographs, they used to do drawings put on the fridge of Uncle Steve with a cigarette, saying, will you stop smoking? And this was when they were like nine and ten, they were writing this sort of stuff. I mean, that didn't influence me. I just thought I wanted to do it for myself, just to prove it. And I couldn't, I couldn't go back smoking now. I know a number of people who have gone back, and that's, that's up to them. They know the pitfalls, you can't do anything else but say to them, listen... You know, it's not it's not the greatest. So when Paul Gascoigne goes in, and the Americans have a fairly good track record of this kind of thing, um, and I'm assuming the reason they didn't put him in a place in this country is because of the press intrusion. So if it works, it works. But he's got to accept the fact that when he comes out of rehab at £6,000 a week, £18,000 over three weeks, I think he'll probably do two weeks. Because they've, they've only put 30 grand into the kitty... And the flight was 13 grand to America. Nobody's going to be comping Paul Gasco in a free flight, are they? And so they then put him in there, 13th first, first class return. That's what it is. Whether that's for him and the carer, I don't know. Or perhaps the carer travels baggage. But he will come back. And what you have to say to somebody, and I can say it to you now if you drink, is you're not going to have a drink ever, ever again. It's not a case of you could just have one little drink every so often. You can't. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. There is no cure for alcoholism. It is always there. There is always that temptation that you'll have that one drink and you're back on it again. And that will be the, that'll be the downside for him, having to accept the fact. Because you've got to condition your mind, haven't you, to the fact that you're not ever, ever... I'm sorry to rant about this as well, but you're never, ever going to have a drink again. And that's what I don't think he's able to do. I think he's too weak. I think he's way too weak. He's pathetically weak. We've seen the breakdowns. We've seen, you know, and this isn't when he's been drunk. We've seen that when he's been sober playing football. We've had the, we've had the, the breakdowns and the emotional, you know, caboodle that goes with the whole thing. It's terribly sad. But isn't there, I remember him seeing him sitting with Richard and Judy. And he was he was talking about, no, I don't drink anymore now. I've got to be book out and I do this and I do that. And I thought, I wonder how, for how long. I wonder for how long before somebody says, hey, Gazza, let me buy you a drink. 
And that's where it all goes wrong. Save for George Best. George Best would toddle out of pubs. People have bought him drinks. They go, just bought George Best a drink in there. Whereas, in fact, they were the people killing him. Or the people killing Paul Gasker. And they go, let me buy you a drink, mate. Let me buy you a drink. They might better handle it. He can't. But he's got to accept the fact that when he comes out of rehab in America, you know, it's a case of... And it'll take a lot. Imagine his liver must be shot through. But it's going to take an awful lot. He's got to accept the fact, no more booze in your life. That's it. Forget it. You know, go, go and get your, your, your rocks off on a, on a cabbage or something stupid. You know, take something, drink, you know, drink orange juice every day, but you're not going to be having any alcohol. And that's what people who are alcoholics crave. They crave. They don't want food. They don't want food. They want the alcohol. I told you, I had a producer who was an alcoholic. And uh, we went out for dinner once. Only the once, because it was a waste of time. He just moved the food around his plate. That's all he did. He just moved it around. And I thought, he's not going to eat anything. And I remember talking to a doctor... And he said the drink is the food. That's what he's. That's why he doesn't want the food. He'll just move it around. He might have a little tiny bit, but he's not enjoying it. I went, right. So when Paul Gascoigne goes over to America and he's over there now, you have to want to do it. I think somebody must have said to him yesterday or the day before, listen, if you don't go to America and get some of this, this treatment, you're going to be dead by Christmas. There's no point in messing around. And somebody said, listen, we will pay for you to go. Your friends, finally... Of rally drink. He's been like this for months. It's not just recent he's been drunk as a skunk. We've seen loads of this. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. So get the treatment in America. What the treatment is, I don't know. I've never been in one of these places. I mean, I don't know if they do cold turkey or if they give you a, an alcoholic substitute. I've got no idea. I've no idea how it works. I just know that if it's successful, it'll be brilliant and he might actually get his life back. If it's not, he'll be dead in a few months. It's as simple as it. It's as, it's, as, it's as hard and fast and as cut and thrust as that, I'm afraid. 84850stevedlbc.co.uk. Talk about ditzy. Liz Hurley. Not the brightest penny in the box, I've often thought. Do you remember the other day, she'd, um, she'd, her car was stolen in Mayfair. She parked the car, she went back and it'd gone. Somebody nicked her car. No, they hadn't. She'd just forgotten where she parked it. She's that ditzy. And so she told police that her Audi was swiped as she went shopping... But the son found it yesterday in the street where she left it last Thursday and it's covered with four days parking. Liz laughed sheepishly. Idiot. What an idiot. I mean, how stupid you have to be to forget where you've parked the car. We've all done it in a car park. But dear God in heaven, I mean, it's Mayfair's not exactly the biggest place. You know, you remember where you leave it, don't you? I would have thought so. 84850, uk. I couldn't believe that people were um, talking about teddy bears. Why oh, are they talking about teddy bears? There's some teddy bear-related story in the newspapers. Oh, right. Because everybody has a favourite teddy bear, don't they? Everybody's had their childhood teddy bear. And you can go to the teddy bear factory where they stuff your favourite bear. They sort of plug his bottom into some machine. And the next thing, he fills up and then you can buy him clothes and all sorts of stuff. Which is good. Uh, James says, the last chance saloon. An unfortunate phrase for Mr Gascoigne's concern. No. It is the last chance saloon. That's the sad thing. If he doesn't stop drinking, he's dead. End of story. End of story. That's it. So it, it's not, a, not an unfortunate phrase at all. It's exactly the phrase for him. He's an alcoholic. He's got to stop drinking. If he doesn't, he dies. It's as simple as that. LBC 97 point... He says, trying to sound cheerful about the weather because it's, it's got colder. I did tweet yesterday. I said... We're not really going to have snow. I mean, I'm hoping the Met Office are wrong, and I was watching a guy called Nick Miller. Strange enough, I used to know a guy called Nick Miller years and years ago. And I was looking at him thinking, you know when you haven't seen somebody for, would be 30 years, 30-plus 30 years, I'm thinking, is that him or has he changed? 
changed. I don't... You know, you bump into so many people in the business over the years, and I can't remember. People... I mean, some people look exactly the same that I remember from Gough Square days, because LBC celebrates its 40th birthday this year. And so they're, they're running through names of people that we can use to put a programme together. It'll be very interesting. I mean, it, it really was very interesting. There's a very, very interesting story in the paper today, and it's uh, found its way into the mail. And it's about the broadcaster Libby Purvis. And I've never read any stories about Libby, Libby Purvis before, but she says, I mean, she said in all the... And she's one of the best-known female broadcasters. I mean, she comes with a, a pedigree and a track record. But she says, 40 years at the corporation, she was sacked from one programme because she was pregnant, touched inappropriately by a former boss, and at one point told to stick to producing because women's voices were childish, vampy, mumsy or school mom. And so she said it's been decades of sexism. And, and, th- and the truth of the matter is, she's probably right. She's probably right. It's just that that's what radio was like in the early days. I remember there being a survey that came out asking radio listeners which female voices they liked. And it turned out that the majority of women in this survey didn't like listening to women on the radio because they said they had voices that sort of screeched or whatever it was. I mean, it was exactly the same as she said, but that's what it said then. And you know that there are certain voices that you hear. Some are good on the radio, some are on the television. And, and some you go, oh, that's such an awful voice. I mean, Jordan has got the most dreadful voice. It's flat, it's monotone. The other dreadful one is the woman who plays... I can't remember which... She's, she's one of the Dingles in Emmerdale, and she's got a really dreadful voice. I mean, it's so screechy. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Whereas you listen to Catherine Jenkins, and she not only looks good, but she sounds good as well at the same time. So I can quite understand when Libby Purvis says... You know, the boss put his hand on her thigh. I mean, that was quite normal. I've had bosses who've done that to me. You know, okay, well, you know, we weren't picking out curtains or nothing or getting engaged or, you know, me going round sort of looking at the pronuptia catalogue. But that's what people did. People were encouraged. Apparently, I read in the paper yesterday, at Pret-a-Manger, they encouraged people to be tactile. In fact, the boss there said, he said he wants people to... Well, I mean, I can't... I'm not a tactile person unless I've had a few drinks. And in which case, I'm terribly tactile. In fact, I can be embarrassingly tactile when I've had a few drinks. And I can't help it. It's just that, you know, you, you, that's the kind of way to... Some people get aggressive on drinks. I get tactile. So I always walk... Whenever people say to me, producers and things like that, they say, let's go out for a drink. I go, let's not. Let's not, you know. Lest by the end of the day I find myself engaged and, you know, walking down the aisle to, you know, here comes the bride kind of stuff. So I, I, I tend not to bother with that kind of stuff. But it, it, it's, it's true that it was it was of the period people... You know, people did touch each other. People did go out with people at work. You know, it was quite normal because you see people all the time and you get to know somebody. It's not like standing in a bar or in a club and having a chat to somebody. You don't really know them. If you work with somebody over a close, you know, in, in a close relationship, you get to know them. And so it is quite, it's quite easy for some people to form bonds and relationships. I personally, of course, don't subscribe to that one at all. You know, as far as I'm concerned, once I finish here, that's it. I don't want to take them home with me. You know, I've worked with them all night. The last thing you want to do is, is wake up with them the following morning. Uh, Harry Styles' dancer. This is um, some sort of lap dancer thing. Camilla Robson. And apparently she's not a stripper. She's a photographer. She'd not done it before and she dressed her... I mean, either way, she lives in Kingston-on-Thames. Oh, lovely. Said to be mortified. Well, don't go to a party where somebody's got a camera, love. You know, I can only advise you. They all seem surprised, these people, don't they? Somebody takes a photograph and they go, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. 
Apparently, uh, he said, this is Harry Styles, she stripped her down to her underwear, but unfortunately there was no nudity in the bar. Uh, She's not not a conventional photographer, Miss Miss Robson. She specialises in taking pictures of pole dancing. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Nevertheless, her friends seemed stunned by her striptease revelations. Harvey Rowe, Hayley Rowe, wrote on Facebook, Oh, my God, this is amazing, Mills. Is he even old enough? While Kira Alice Palmer simply exclaimed, Millie! Oh, and then another one wrote, Lucy Scott, Fame at last. To which Miss Robson wrote, For all of five minutes. There we are. She, was, she, was, she came out of a house the other day on a red bike dressed in tracksuit bottoms and a, and a gilet. I don't know what a gilet is. What's a gilet? A body walk. Oh, God, what a gross thing. I mean, to be honest with you, she ain't all that in the looks department. You know, I'm not, I'm not being rude, I'm just being kind. You know, she couldn't have been a stripper even if her life had depended on it. There's a picture today of the bloke from One Direction who had a fling with another stripper or she was a waitress or she wasn't a waitress or she was a pole dancer or she wasn't a pole dancer. And, and they're now back together. So Perry Edwards and Zane, whatever his name is from One Direction, are back together. And you look at her and you think, why would you bother? Why would you bother? There's much better looking people out there. If you're going to go for looks and personality, I mean, if you cheated on her, there must be a reason for it. There's always a reason for these things, isn't there? You can't just... Nobody finishes with you just just for no reason whatsoever. Uh, Ian says, at last, somebody says home truths about Gaza. Well, it's it's as simple as that. I don't think... You know, we're not talking out of school. We're only saying what what the truth is. He's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's a wife-beater. Let's not forget that, thank you very much indeed. Let's not forget the fact that he abused his wife, who went back twice. Twice! to be with him. You know, you know, once somebody hits you once, you get out as quick as possible. Because quite clearly the man is off his trolley and he's a drunk. But luckily for him, for loads of you, not at all. No help whatsoever. There's help to try and get you off, but you're no, never lucky enough to have a friend or friends uh, who are going to come up with 30 grand and send you to America first class to go for some sort of treatment to stop your alcoholism. That's never going to happen, is it? Luckily for him, he's got friends in all the right places. They're people who've got a lot of money. They're people who could afford to give ten grand each. That's nothing, is it, for the resultant publicity? Ten grand each for three people? (laughs) Diddly squat, as far as I'm concerned. It's a nice thing to happen. I would hope that people would do the same for me if I fell into that particular groove, but I'm hoping it's not likely. I'm hoping it's not likely. The day I come down for breakfast and don't want eggy soldiers and, um, and, and peanut butter on toast and want sort of a, a large vodka and tomato juice is the day I think I give up. Although I have known presenters over the years who have uh, done programmes on alcohol. Uh, Mark says, uh, good to hear Gazza's getting help. Well done, his friends, for stumping up the cash to fly him to America. I know he was pretty stupid in his younger days, but England had a star when he was at the top of his game, an entertainer. Yes, sadly now just a drunk. And, and, and it's, it's all too easy, isn't it, to go back and go, of course he was really funny, he was a great footballer. I had an argument with a producer once of mine, and he used to say, oh, Gazza, he's a star. I mean, he's a drunk. He's a drunk, he beats women up. That's what he did. You know, it's, it, there's a limit to how long you can laugh at the fool in the corner. You know, it's not funny when it becomes aggressive. And it's not funny when it, when it becomes nasty. Although you notice that Bianca Gascoigne, even though wanted to distance herself, hung on to that name as much as possible and milked it for all she could. What does that woman do now? 84850stevenlbc.co.uk So do some of your uh, texts this morning. Lost me a little thing now. Where's it gone to? There it is. Um... <clears throat> Somebody says, re-voices, you can't beat Kirsty Young. You think? You think, oh, I don't know. I was, uh, yes, I suppose so. It's, it's very interesting listening to, to women's... I can listen to some women's... It's like Miriam Margulies. 
you know that she's a short, fat little woman, and yet she used to do all these... She used to do the advert for Cadbury's Caramel. Um, and, and she used to do all those adverts where the bunny was lying under the tree, and that was all Miriam Margulies. And Hattie Jakes, another big woman, but with a really, really sexy voice. Sexy voice. And let me, I remember when the camera panned away in one film she did, when she was teaching people to be very seductive and sexy. And people think that you have to, to talk. Some, some presenters are like that. Some presenters think you have to shout. Some presenters uh, get very, uh, very close to the microphone and uh, say, you're listening to Steve Allen's early breakfast. I mean, if you had a whole programme like that, you'd be driving yourself insane. I mean, sexy though it is. Admittedly, I can't go out with all of you. But maybe I could if I tried. Front of the Daily Mirror this morning, well, guess who? Chris Hewn's career. First of all, and they had to have him on television, didn't they, yesterday? You know, I will prove in court that this is not true. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. They'll be asking the question later on this morning with Nick Ferrari. What, what do you think he'll get? Will he be sent to prison for two years? I mean, he's lost everything. It's all collapsed, all because he chose to lie. His son quite clearly hates him. His son is on the front page of The Sun this morning. Was it The Sun? Yes. And um, his son says, um, do I have to contact the police and tell them what you told me? He hates him. You disgust me, Dad. Can you ever imagine writing that to your father or your mother? Dad, you disgust me. He's facing jail and, I mean, the man's an idiot. There's no two ways about it. But then people do tell lies. You have to accept that people do and they'll, they'll tell lies to protect themselves, I'm afraid. Oh, dear. Stuart the trucker says, I missed the first 20 minutes. Back from Thetford to Kent and you were out of range. I know it's not good enough. Well, you know, we don't want excuses, and I've never heard such pathetic excuses for truck drivers. You know, everybody listens to this programme. This is the most popular programme in London at this time of the morning. There is nothing else on the radio. Well, there might be, but it's not as interesting, and it doesn't garner the big audience that we get, because we have the opportunity to tell the truth. You know, and that's, that's good. Steve, I hope you're well, says Pauline Popper. You said Jordan's voice was flat and monotone. I was thinking Falkor. No, she's got a... Oh, if you listen to Jordan's voice, it's, oh, it's the most boring voice under the sun. And that's why I used to make me laugh. They go, oh, glamour girl Jordan. Yeah, as long as she keeps her big mouth shut. It's like a lot of them. They, they all end up, you know, thinking they've got very sexy voice. Look at the... I mean, I hate to keep going back to the dreary The Only Way is Essex, but you never heard such a bunch of screaming old banshees coming out of the programme. Not one of them has got a sexy voice. Lucy Mecklenburg looks like a five-year-old and sounds like one. Chloe Sims, I mean, can barely string two words together. Gemma Collins, Jabba the Beach Hut, I'm afraid has got the worst voice I've ever heard of any woman, supposedly of mature years. And don't even get me going on the Fahir sisters. I mean, not one of them. I mean, you couldn't ever put them into anything. That's what makes me laugh. They go, I think we're going to be, be presenters. And you go, I don't think so. I, don't, I think you stick stick with the boutique until you until you're dropped from the only way is Essex, and then your your shop will follow very quickly after that. Good news is this morning, Thunderbirds is coming back for the umpteenth time. This time, the heroes of international rescue will not be jerky puppets on strings. I object to that remark. They were never puppets on strings. Instead, it's going to feature CGI animation, and it's a. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be called Thunderbirds A Go, and it's going to be screened on CITV in 2015, which is 50 years after the first lot was launched. I love the way they always put down, of course, you know, based on what Gerry Anderson did. I think you find it was Sylvia Anderson as well who came up with the concept. So, you know, let's give her credit, please. Not all Gerry Anderson. Time now, 4.30. <laughs> Morning. Actually, talking of sexy voices, having having a think and a thunk to myself this morning about 
Lady Penelope, because she was terribly, terribly sexy. A voiced, of course, by Sylvia Anderson. I should like Parker. She'd go, Parker? Yes, my lady. And it was, oh, I love it, I love it. It was as they came to life, wasn't it? And so she used to carry Lady Penelope around with her, but it was always Jerry Anderson. He wasn't the most pleasant of people, let me tell you. He wasn't the most pleasant of people. I know lots of people had run-ins with Jerry Anderson. and uh, he. But it, it was all those puppet series that we loved. So it comes as no surprise to me they'll bring it back because it's almost ageless. Puppets never age. And I thought they were brilliant. I loved all that kind of stuff. I loved Supercar. What else did they do? They, they did one where they mixed live action and puppets. And that could have been Space 1999. Because it was all this... It was, it was just wonderful, wasn't it? Supercar, though. That was a great one. And then Marina, this underwater woman... And then there were lots of these, Marina, Aqua Marina, which was all good stuff. So if they're bringing it back, that's great. I don't mind that. I've got all the originals on video. I've got the whole um, uh, catalogue from the company that brought all this stuff out. And I've got all of Thunderbirds, plus the Thunderbirds film. I've got loads of stuff. I've got loads of... We like brains. Oh, oh, Mr Tracy. I think he went like that, didn't he? We quite like brains. He was good. And then I like that other one, which had uh, some kid in it. I can't remember. He had glasses as well. What was that series? Which was a puppet series and dum 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 That was that was the theme tune. Dum 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 Am I talking to myself here or what? Am I facing the right way? I sometimes wonder. It's Joe Ninety. Joe Ninety you have to do it yourself round here. Don't bother asking them. Yesterday yes, I I won't tell you who it is, but I said to somebody, I said, I've got Petula Clark coming in and this person said to me, Who's Petula Clark? They'd heard of Zippy from Rainbow, but they hadn't heard of Petula Clark. I said, only our most successful singer. Only our most successful singer. Daz says, Steve, imagine if Brian Blessed had an early morning radio show. You wouldn't need an alarm clock. Yes, he was like... Very, very big voice, wasn't he? Uh, Steve, where Paul is concerned, this is Paul Gascoigne, it's not about the money or where he goes. He has to want to stop and ask for help. Yes, you have to accept the fact, you know, my name is Paul Gascoigne, I am an alcoholic. That's what you have to say, that's what they teach you. But, as I said earlier on, what he's now got to remember is that he's never going to have another drink again. And that might be the bit that he can't cope with. That might be the thing that he thinks, oh no, I, I need the drink. And they have to educate him in two weeks on to not having alcohol ever again. It's like somebody saying to you, listen, you're so fat... You've got to stop eating chips. You are never again going to be having chips. And you go, oh, what about that? I know. Uh, 84850. Uh, last I heard, Bianca Gascoigne was swanning around Monte Carlo drinking champagne. Oh, a woman whose who's career, she tries to be a celebrity. But in fact, she even pitched up, didn't she? I think on, was it The X Factor? She pitched up on either The X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. And they went, it's Bianca Gascoigne, isn't it? And uh, pff, she had no talent whatsoever for singing. She couldn't do anything at all. And in fact, I think she was there with her mum. In the back of my mind, I remember seeing this image, thinking, well, she's been on every programme, and now she's proved she can't even do karaoke, I'm afraid. Malcolm says, I presume the girl with the screechy voice from Emmerdale who you refer to is Lucy Pargeter, who plays Chastity Dingle. I couldn't remember if she, I did have Chastity Dingle's name in my mind, but I couldn't remember if it was her. Yes, that is the one with the screechy voice, I'm afraid. Uh, from Will, he says, Steve, Paul Gascoigne has only ever had one thing in his life, football. He's a highly emotional man who doesn't cope well with life. What he needs is some genuine love. But by using alcohol to cope with life, it's an impossible dream. Yeah, everybody, we all fantasise, don't we? I mean, I've done it. When I've had a few drinks, 
if I've sat out and had a particularly good day and I think, I'll just have a couple of vodkas and I think, oh, what shall I have it with? Tomato juice or have it with something else? And then you start thinking, if I won the lottery, what would I spend? And you, and you change because this couple who won the £161 million have decided to put into a trust fund. I think it's called the Weir Trust Fund. Memorial Trust Fund, Charitable Foundation, five million quid to improve the quality of life in Scotland. They won 161 million. They put five million into this thing. And then every year people can apply for a grant from it to improve life in Scotland. And I thought, that's a nice thing to do. That's a nice thing to do. And I thought, because they've, they've, I mean, 161 million, whichever way you look at it, they're living very averagely. They're not living in a huge baronial castle. They're living in a nice place, don't get me wrong. But they've got so much money that... Five million just could be the interest you could make on probably what their what their balance is per year. So that's good. They've done that. I was very happy for them. And then I thought last night, I thought, what would I like to win on the lottery? I mean, ideally, you know, sixty seven million would be quite nice. Because then you could give to family and friends and do and do uh, charity and stuff like that. But then I thought three point six. I quite fancy winning three point six million. That would be nice. Two million aside for you know, living for the rest of your life, because at my age, you know, you're not going to go for, for ages and ages. And, and then 1.6 million for helping a few people out, you know, bung a, bung a few people some quids here, buy, buy yourself another little place, then rent one out. But it's good. Daz says, what a coincidence. Brian Blessed was Myra's father in Space 1999. You don't think I just say things for effect, do you? It's all carefully contrived. Don't forget Stingray and Fireball XL5. Fireball Stingray was... Stingray, Stingray, da-da-da-da-da-da, Stingray, Stingray. And Fireball XL5 was, I wish I was a spaceman, fastest guy alive. Uh, in Space 1999, there were no puppets. No, but there were models, and that's, that's where they, they combined the two. Steve, why would the MP lie? Has he only got a ban? Now he's lost his career as well. Yes. Liz says, I could do Lady Penelope very well. Very old BBC. Give us a ring and I'll show you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like the idea. Actually, I, I could... Well, I could also do Lady Penelope. I could do Lady Penelope as well. You know, I'm, I'm as good as that. I'm as good as that. It was a very, very sexy voice. People liked it. Uh, it was Joe Ninety. Best on was Captain Scarlet, says Alan in Q. Stacey Solomon, says Simon in Halston, has the most annoying voice. Uh, Sid in Kingston, Four Feather Falls. I've got that on DVD. I have got Four Feather Falls on DVD. Only in black and white. Only in black and white. The Jerry Anderson uh, series that mixed animation and live action was The Secret Service with Stanley Unwin. Stanley Unwin was the man who did Gobbledygook. Uh, and he featured on a carry-on film, which I think was Carry On Regardless. And he spoke... He spoke... Is that Liz in Fulham? Is that Liz Fraser? Does she... Is that Liz, my friend Liz? <laughs> does she do? Does she do Lady Penelope? You're going to tell me she does Lady Penelope now, aren't you? I can just tell. And she just phoned to say she can do Lady Penelope. Did she say that? Go on, put her on. Put her on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I haven't spoken to Liz Fraser. Actually, talking of Carry On, regardless, she can now confirm. Of course, it was Professor Stanley Unwin because Liz was part of the Carry On team. And, uh, actually, you don't need me to tell you that, for goodness sake. And so, Professor Stanley Unwin, who I think somebody spoke to, and one of the only thing I can ever remember was Goodly Bilo. And he did this gobbledygook, and I can't remember how it worked, but he was somebody who came down and the helping hands. And, um, oh, different, is that a different Liz? Oh, right. Uh, our one in Fulham is, is the one from the carry ons. Yeah. 
I shouldn't imagine she wants to do that. She could do the accent. Can she? <laughs> have I got two... I've now got two Lizzies. Shall I have a chat to her? Let's have a quick chat to her. Stick her on the line. It's 20 to 5 in the morning, for goodness sake. I mean, you weren't doing anything at home, were you? Morning, Liz. Morning, Parker. How are you? I'm very, very well, my lady. <laughs> Lovely to hear you, dear. How are you? Absolutely spiffing. Do you know, I was just talking a minute ago because yesterday they showed Carry On Regardless. Oh, did they? Wonderful they did. Wonderful. And there you were with your bunch of flowers turning up yes. at this man's house. And, uh, and you were thinking you were going to take your clothes off and do a little bit of a tidy-up, and he was looking for something completely different. Dear Stephen, do get your knickers out of that twist you've been in recently <laughs> and behave. <laughs> so, are you well? Frightfully good. Breathing, dear. Oh, oh no. Listen, I say, something I, I always say, somebody said to me, you know, how do you know if you're going to work? I said, well, I wake up and I, and I look at the, uh, the obituaries in the paper, and if I'm not in it, I come to work. It's as Absolutely, simple as that. that's the spirit. It's good. Carry so, on, Parker. Off we go. Bless your heart. Lovely to talk to you. Good, good, lovely. Bye-bye. 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 There's our Liz Fraser in Fulham. <laughs> we go back a long way. We go back many, many years, I'm afraid. But they, they, she was... She was <laughs> this is going to sound really rude, but Liz Fraser was very busty. Very, very perky. That's all. She knows what I mean. She knows what I mean. But they did show Carry On regardless the other day. And uh, it was such a good little film, actually. And of all the Carry On, so strange enough, it wasn't, it wasn't the most popular one. But I loved it. I loved it. So I was delighted when they showed it the other day. And it's nice. She's always up early in the morning. I like people up. I don't care whether they're actresses, people delivering. I don't care who you are. As long as you're there, that's all that makes a difference. And as long as you tell all your friends, which is just... We've got all sorts of people. Every time I go and do anything where there's lots of showbiz people, they always tell me, always listen early in the morning. Because people wake up early and once your body clock started doing it, you know, you just... You can't help it, can you? Uh, 84850. Dorman Dom says, I read that Richard Bryce isn't very well. Is he at Brinsworth? No, he lives in Chiswick, I believe. Yes, I think he's got emphysema. But he said... He said that he, um... He's been smoking over the years. I've forgotten that he smoked. I've seen him smoking on television, when they could show smoking on television. And he said he must have smoked half a million cigarettes over the years, so he's got emphysema. He looks good, though. I know he's an LBC listener. I know he listens, because somebody went out to do an interview with him a, a while ago, and he said, I, I listened to that Steve Allen in the morning. So I know that Richard Briers is out there, which is good news. Uh, Ralph in Stratford, thank you for that one. Uh, boring voice, Andy Murray, the tennis player. Uh, Ian says, I could sort Paul Gascoigne out in a few seconds using hypnosis. It's, well, I'm hoping that going to America and spending all this money, it's going to gonna work for him. Because either that or he's coming back in a box. But I don't think any of us want that, do we? 84850, uk. Oh, and Reg Presley died. Wild thing. I think, actually, there's a very good film, and at the end of it... <laughs> I'm all over the place this morning. I'm so sorry. But there's this very good film. And at the end of the film... Now, you'll have to tell me. It could be called... The film could be called Wild Thing. Because there is... Uh, the film finishes and they start playing Wild Thing. Uh-oh. You make my... And it's this black woman standing in a doorway doing rap to Wild Thing. And I'm... Everything's I'm mad here, but I'm telling you. This woman is really well known in America. She's a black rapper and she sings Wild Thing. And I'm just going to have a quick check and see if I can find it on my music. But my phone doesn't have, I'm afraid, um, every single thing on it because it's only put on a selection. But it was... There's a... There's a oh, I haven't got Wild Thing on here, which is a, which is a great shame. So if you can remember, the film might have been called Wild Thing. 
And it had this black rapper at the end singing Wild Thing. Uh-oh, you make my heart sing. But Reg Presley was the lead singer of the Trogs. I think he wrote Love Is All Around. And the other thing he was known for is he was barking mad. He put all his money into... Because when they used Wild Thing, again, it was used probably on this film and a few other things, the money started coming in and he invested it in crop circles. He believed in crop circles. He believed that they were made, poor deluded old soul, sitting on his cloud now, and only discovering now that it's students with a piece of rope and a flashlight, which they've marked out on graph paper. I mean, it's so embarrassing. I love it when people go, of course, made by aliens. Yes, of course it is, dear. You pat them on the head, you know, and turn them round and push them back into the priory and let them be happy all by themselves, because it is students. It's, It's drunk students from a pub. They all emanate in the same place. And then around the world, students who are quite bright. I know some people, you know, diss students. I'm not one of those people. I don't diss students at all. I think they're really highly intelligent. And they just get a piece of graph paper and they they work out the thing and then you go and make it. That's why you never find any of these patterns made in the snow. As I pointed out a short while ago, because you'd see footprints going all over the place. And that's why in the straw, you can do it quite easily. So there you go. He was 71. 71. Thank you, Jeff. He says that's what the 60s was all about. I can't remember what they looked like, the Trogs. Were they a tra- what a funny name, the Trogs. Might be called the Trolls, mightn't they? But love is all around, wild thing. Uh, I shall love listening to Emily Littlemore read the news on Sunday mornings. Yes, I mean, every- yes. See? Different voices on LBC that you remember from over the years, which is good. Um, you were talking about Gaza. Was it a strange dream I had? says Mark. Or did he turn up at a police siege with a sandwich for a man on the run? Yes, he did. He turned up with a fishing rod and a sandwich. And it was then that we all knew, well, we knew years ago that he was balmy mad, I'm afraid. Hopefully now he will get the treatment and he will come back, you know, straightened out. But I have grave doubts. LBC Night Alan. Morning, morning. 13 minutes to five. It's, uh, it's LBC. It's very cold. going to get colder. Windy yesterday. A friend of mine came out and he said, oh, he said, do I need to put a coat on? I said, no, you think it... He thought it was warm. Walked outside, went, oh, my God, I'm going back inside to get the coat. Uh, Alison says, when dealing with alcoholics, one thing you never do is tell them it's giving up forever. Well, they're going to hear from somebody, aren't they? Let's face it. It's simply... It's just too much for them to deal with. Alcohol damages the brain after long-term use, and you have to take it all into account. All you can guide them to is resolving to stay sober one day at a time. But I think they're going to need... He's going to need somebody, isn't he? I mean, quite clearly, he's not going to manage this by himself. He can't manage anything by himself. He's obviously very lonely, and and that's why... But I don't think people drink through loneliness, but with him, I think that, you know, people put up with a lot from alcoholics. And then eventually you have to go, listen, I just not to deal with in my own life without having to worry about anything else. So whether or not it works, I don't know. I don't know. On the subject of Wild Thing, the film is called, there you go, Adrian from Romford, Something Wild with Melanie Griffiths. So the film is something... I knew I knew somebody would know. I just knew. And at the end... And she plays a woman who wears a wig and she seduces this guy, doesn't she? It's a really good film. But at the end, it's got this woman singing, Wild Thing, uh-oh. I keep doing it to myself. <laughs> Eventually it'll hit. Somebody will go, oh, that's Missy Elliott or whoever it is. Because the producer said Missy Elliott. I said, oh, have you got... Sister Carol, that's it. Sister Carol is singing, Crazy Vern... It's, have you got, we've got a good bit of the music there. It's really good. Oh, it's really good. Sister Carol. Whatever happened to Sister Carol, ladies and gentlemen? So come on, Adrian, you could have come up with that bit and helped me out a little bit more. Sister Carol, not Miss, not Missy Elliot. 
<laughs> well, at least we found it. I do worry. Uh, yes, uh, thank you, uh, Jamie, for sending it in Hong Kong about uh, Parker. There used to be all sorts of jokes about Parker. Unzip my dress. Yes, my lady. Parker, take off my dress. Yes, my lady. Parker, undo my bra. Yes, my lady. And don't ever wear any of my clothes again. It's an old gag. It takes ages to write it out. And it goes on for ages. It goes on for even longer than my, my career. A classic, but not much talked about, Jerry Anderson show was UFO. First foray into live action series, but the rockets in the UFO managed by strings. Very much advanced from its time, so it didn't catch on. Well, I thought it was good. UFO is out. You can, you can get it, as far as I... As far as I remember, I've certainly got it on video. I think I've got... I think, yes, I have got it on video, yes. I was trying to think if I've got it on uh, DVD, but I've definitely got it on video. Uh, Mr Warrington could record it for you. Tonight at 10.30 on Sky Arts 2, they've got a rare showing of one of Michael Winner's short films from 61 called Girls, Girls, Girls. It's about three girls sharing a flat in London. A series of short films made as supporting programmes to the big picture at the local cinema. And it's a, a snapshot of what life was like in the 50s and 60s, filmed in Technicolor. And I think the Beeb are doing something similar with the Britain on Film series, which features the look at life films from the 1950s. He says, Wonder, will you be asking about the Huggett films she made with Kathleen Harrison? Yes, this is Petula Clark. I know, I'd, I'd forgotten she made two, two outings with the Huggets. And uh, Dixon of Doc Green, surely one worth an hour's special. Do you know how old Petula Clark is now? She's 80. She's 80. I mean, it doesn't seem possible, does it? He says, uh, morning to all the Facebookers, several of them ill at the moment. Bit of Anderson trivia, live action and puppet. The Secret Service with Stanley Unwin. The Fireball XL5 theme, sung by Don Spencer, the Play School presenter, and the company was involved in one of the first product tie-ins when they advertised Zoom ice lollies. Four Feather Falls, voiced by Nicholas Parsons. Yes, you see, Nicholas Parsons, great voiceover person. Great voiceover person. And he must be getting on a bit now. He must be getting on a bit. I'm always amazed when I hear of people who are 80 and 79. You think, good grief. Hope for all of us. Hope for all of us. Other stories. Oh, guess who's being axed from school curriculum? From uh, the teaching of, to be written out of primary school history lessons, Queen Victoria. They've decided to, to write her. Where's she buried? Is she buried at Frogmore? I can't remember if she was buried up front. I have a feeling that she is. They've also axed Isambard Kingdom Brunel, which is a shame because he's in Madame Tussauds, and Florence Nightingale. Now, I don't think Florence Nightingale was in Madame Tussauds. But there's some very odd people in there. I don't know how that works. So, uh, now, they've decided... I mean, Victoria was our longest-serving monarch, I think. From uh, 19... Sorry, 1837 to 1901. Longest-serving monarch. So now she's been devalued... They're going, to, they're going to knock the poor old soul out, which is not particularly good. Uh, Dame Helen Mirren has revealed she dreamed of being the next Brigitte Bardot when she was a teenager. She didn't like Alfred Hitchcock. She met him and she said, we just didn't get on well. She said, I knew he didn't like me and I didn't like him either. She said, I was stupid though. I was naive. I should have realised that he was, uh, he was absolutely wonderful and he was clever because she's in a new film with Anthony Hopkins... You've got the music of that wild thing. Can you find the little bit where it goes... There's a little bit of rap in it, which... Why are we all smiling? Is there something going on that I'm not aware of this morning? I don't like... I'm always... Oh, you've got 20 seconds... Oh, 20 seconds. Make the most of this one, ladies and gentlemen. Hold 20 seconds of this music from the film... What was the film called? They forgot... Do you know, honestly, they're hopeless. They're, you, you ask, it goes in one ear and pops out the other. OK, the singer's sister, Carol. Here's 20 seconds of that wild thing, OK?
It's really good, I tell you, I promise you. But the la 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 crazy thing in it, it's so catchy. It's so catchy. But the funny thing is, the quality is so bad. And the one that I've downloaded isn't, isn't better, I'm afraid. You know, sometimes you get a little piece of music in your head. You watch, you'd all be going out today to get this film something wild. Because it's really, really good, really good. It's a, it's a nice little film. And it's, it's, it's funny. And then it, it's worth it for Sister Carol at the end. I promise you. I would not tell a fib to you, ladies and gentlemen. I would not tell a fib. Uh, they were called the trogs because they sounded like a cross between a frog and a toad, says Chris. All oh, right. <laughs> the Rapping Woman movie was called Something Wild. I knew you would know these things. I knew you would know. I mean, you're actually terribly... It's actually... The, the nice thing about the LBC audience is that it's so diverse at this time of the morning that you know... You know these things. Pete in Wolverhampton says, I watched the latest episode of The Hotel and noticed from his business card that Christian's surname is Scott Lee. He's not related to Lisa Scott Lee. No. I I mean, it would be quite funny if he was, wouldn't it? It would be quite funny. But I fear not, I'm afraid. And he has, he, he's left, hasn't he? He has left the hotel. He, he walked a flounce. Well, he, sort of, he offered his, his resignation because, frankly, that was useless. Never seen anybody so bad. If you've never seen... If you've never seen the hotel, it's it's worth watching for what they call car crash television, a hotel that it was just doomed. And I think this week's episode is the one where he says it's it's got we have to sell it because we just can't afford to keep going. They're not making any money at all. Stanley Unwin says Darren also appeared on Ugden's Nut Gone Flake by the Small Faces. Did he really? I have that. He I have that uh, that album at home. Uh, what does everybody feel for Hume? It's his ex-wife. I feel for. Says Sharon in Streatham. Yes, I mean, it's, he is on the front of most of the papers this morning. It's something that Nick Ferrari will be talking about later on as well. He's facing jail. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, good. Good. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, and when you think about it, it's something so stupid. Something so stu- I mean, people now, you know, commit huge amounts of benefit fraud and, and they can practically murder and they get where, well, you know, they've had a difficult upbringing. And all his was was asking his wife to take his speeding points. Now, I don't want to be naive in this one, but I should imagine this is widespread. I bet this is widespread across the country. I bet there are loads of people for whom, if you had speeding points, it would take your licence away. And so you shove them onto the wife. Or you shove them onto your mother-in-law or your mother. You find somebody in the family who's got a licence that can take points, and you go, well, actually, I wasn't driving at the time. My mother, who's 117, was driving the car. And then you just shove the points onto her. So I, I, you know, I, I don't have any sympathy for him because he lied and he got caught out. The worst thing is, once you tell a lie, even if you're a child, it's then you have, if, if you're going to be a good liar, you've got to be able to prove it. And of course, he actually changed his plea on the first day in court, thus saving himself a huge amount of embarrassment. I mean, quite clearly, the man's an idiot. He can't help it, you know, stupid, wasted a career, and all because he should have told the truth. But I put to you that there are thousands, if not more people in this country who have pushed their speeding points onto a loved one's... In fact, I can tell you I know of two people. I know of two people who have done such a thing. Admittedly, they are not people that you know. They're not people in the public eye. 
And it was done because their car licence is invaluable to their business. And that's why they've done it. Unfortunately, if you're a minister, you're supposed to be whiter than white. But to stand there and, and lie about something is just, you know, it's just wrong. And so he will pay the price. He will find out. I mean, he could face, I think, up to three years. I'd be very surprised if he faces three years in prison. But he could face up to three years, and all because he was stupid and naive enough to actually think that he could get away with it. I mean, if you brazen it out in front of the cameras, I mean, what did he think? What did he think? His son was going to shop him anyway. His son said, you know, am I, are you going to tell the police or am I going to tell the police what you told me? Because if you're going to do something like that, you've almost got to keep it very, very quiet. Dancing on Ice has been accused of a fix after Matt Lapinkus was saved in a skate-off despite stumbling. We've already told you he's going to win. Because if he wins, this will prove that the programme always is won by a soap star who can dance. Because this bloke, this Matt Lapinkus, was so badly acting the other day on Dancing on Ice when they were showing him in rehearsals and he kept falling over and then he, he did the, oh, I just can't do it, I can't, and I thought... And then the next minute you see him skating backwards at high speed across the ice, where Samir Gardi, you know, if, if she'd been any slower, it would have been a photograph. And so he's there skating, I'm thinking, you're a fraud, but I bet he wins because he's really good. He knows how to skate. And that's, that's why it's, it's, it's fraudulent in that. But to be honest, nobody's watching the programme anyway. It's a pile of old rubbish. Pile of old rubbish. Poor old Christine Bleakley. I mean, she just, just doesn't have that natural gift that uh, Pip Schofield seems to have of making presenting look effortless. You know, he just stands there and you, you'd never believe he's reading an auto cue. He makes it, whereas she is reading, uh, you know, and it's a bit slow and laboured and it's just a little bit. It's like seals clapping. It's, it's just a bit, bit pointless, I'm afraid. 84850, Um One hit. Jim says, in case uh, you're interested, I've every episode of UFO on DVD. Comes in two boxes. I'm not remotely interested. Why on earth would you think I'd be interested? What a boring existence you must have. I can't think of anything worse. Go, oh, dear. Take yourself outside and do self-flagellation for two minutes and then repeat after me, I'm never going to write to Steve Allen about my UFO box sets. How much you pay for them? How much you pay for them? You pay a lot for them. I don't have the box sets. I'm a little bit jealous. That's why I'm not. You can tense. You can tense. Sometimes I tense. But you can sense, can't you, a feeling of sort of, of desperation there. I'm thinking, a box set? I didn't know there was such a thing. I've only got a few episodes. You're way above me on that kind of thing. 84850, uk. More of your texts and emails coming the other side of the news at five. Read this morning by Sam Pittis. On FM. Morning, cold. I did tweet the other day. I said, surely the Met Office cannot be right about snow coming in. And it was amazing how many tweets we got. Um, Jenny says, uh, looks outside the window. Uh, Steve, I don't think they got it wrong. Keith says, snow is awesome. He says, nothing like a covering of the white stuff to make you feel all Christmassy in February. Oh, dear. And then James says, the Met Office was spot on with forecasting snow in the south the other week. And LJ says, you'll have to get the Ugg boots out again. <laughs> I wouldn't wear Ugg boots if, there was, if I got offered a free pair. Oh, I knew there was something I was going to do. I knew there was something I was going to do. I'm going to find an email in a moment. Uh, Mary says, seagulls inland bound to snow. Emma says, can I have a hello? Of course you can. And then poor old Jacqueline says, surely not in the South, Steve. Who cares about the snow in Scotland? Uh, Noreen, she says, I really hope so. I don't want the white stuff again. <laughs> And another one here. Oh, yeah, is the In Conversation podcast there? I'm, I'm certain it is. We're, we should just have a little check for you. 
It's lovely, actually. Uh, Joe Parkinson also uh, tweeted and saying that she was doing interviews yesterday, and I think she was doing Rita Ora, and uh, she says now in the studio with the Steve Allen show and Fred Weasley, who's not ginger anymore because he wasn't actually ginger. He was, he was, uh, he was dyed, tied to the process, which we tell you about in the interview which is going out on Sunday. Yeah, there she is, standing there. That's Sister Carol in the film. It's so good. Wild Thing. Uh-oh. It's on YouTube as well. What does it come under? It's just called Sister Carol, Wild Thing. Go on, how many hits has it got? Just a matter of interest. Look how many hits that's got. 88,000. What, 88,000? Isn't that many? Seems like a load to me. Should we see if we can get it up to 100,000 with the help of the Steve Allen Show on LBC 97.3? That'll be very good indeed. But it, it is great. It is absolutely great. And it's Jeff Daniels who was in the film as well. Really, really, really good film. But she sings this song at the end, and it's so catchy. It's just really wonderful. I love it. Dora Bryan is 90 this week. Dora Bryan, 90 this week. So many, many happy returns of the day. Uh, more of your texts and emails coming up. But do you remember the other day we were talking about the Etch-A-Sketch? The Etch-A-Sketch. And I got an email from somebody on the subject of Etch-A-Sketches. Oh, actually, the first one, I got one from Cathy, telling me about Hampton Court Palace, and they've got the choir of the Chapel Royal. They've got a website, chapelroyal.org, and there's no charge. They've been singing there for 500 years. They're fairly ancient, some of these people, as you can imagine. And you can go down there and hear them singing in Henry VIII's chapel, which is, which is quite something. But we were talking about um, Etch-A-Sketches, and, and I remember thinking, because I was saying, I never had a, an Etch-A-Sketch. We weren't, we weren't rich enough in, in our family to have something like that. I was a little bit miffed. And so I get a, an email from a lady, and I'll find her email in one second, because she's, she obviously knows something about... Oh, I've got Kimberly Walsh coming in for In Conversation. You remember I went to see her in Shrek. We're doing her on Friday morning very early, so I'm very much looking forward to that. She's got a new album out, and that's why all the pictures were in the paper the other day. She was at G-A-Y. And she was appearing down there. Here you go. This is from Claire. And she says, We heard this morning you mentioning the Etch-A-Sketch and whether they still could be bought. Flair PLC supply Etch-A-Sketches and we've got some limited edition gold ones. She said, and we'd love to send one to you. So that's lovely. So I'm going to let the producer reply to that one and give our address. Because she just wants our address. So I'll pop her in the post you. How lovely. A gold Etch-A-Sketch. They were only ever red. Never heard of a gold etcher sketch, which is wonderful. The podcast. Oh right, <laughs> um, was that the in conversation on Sunday? Oh dear, it was. It wasn't live. It's up there now, okay. And I'll tell you, it's Layla Morse and uh, the hypnotist Paul. Paul. So that's uh, that's who was doing the in conversation. For this week, so it's going to be it's going to be live, is it? Lovely. We shall do that now, and it will be sorted out. Thank you very much indeed. I was if, if you if you tell me if something doesn't appear on the website, then that'll be fine. So if you will, you send our address to this woman here. We do that now. Thank you, and uh, then we can get a, an etch an etch a sketchy gold. I'm very excited, very excited about things like that. Never heard of such a thing, which is good. Other stories in the papers today, apart from Chris Hune, they. Uh, are talking about match fixing. They've discovered that over over the the world there's been general match fixing. There's a police probe which is taking place because they reckon there are something like two or three hundred people who could be involved with match fi- football matches. You know, um, you know that would be 
Fantastic. You better put LBC, actually. LBC 97.3 at the top. We'll never, never make it, actually. Otherwise, it'll disappear in the building. And if I walk, th- if I walk through reception and I see somebody playing with a gold etcher sketch, I shall know. I shall know, Claire, what, they, uh, what they've done. You're our hero. Lots of people have written into Paul Gascoigne. It's a shame it takes, you know, a picture of a dying man, a man at the, at the end of his tether, I should imagine, for people to actually pick up where he's been like this for ages and ages and ages, I'm afraid. And so now it's, it's going to be good. Um, it's very interesting. Mr Hune, Mr Hune, Chris Hune, but uh, Peter Hune told his loser dad, we all know you were driving, and they, they obviously don't get on. Chris Hune and his son quite clearly don't get on. And it's just driven, the, the rude, the rudeness between the two of them with, with rude letters. I hate you, Dad, so don't contact me. You make me sick, says the son. It was only, it was only driving. I mean, I know he lied, but at the end of the day, he didn't kill anybody. All he did was he lied about where the things were going. And somebody wrote to me a minute ago and uh, said here... Uh, your mates can break the law and you cover for them, but you hate shoplifters. They weren't my mates. I didn't say they're my mates. I don't know what you're listening to, but I certainly didn't say that. I said, I know of people who've done this, but I hate shoplifters. What's it? I mean, and then says, you know, tell us the difference. What, you don't know the difference between between three speeding points or six speeding points which you put on somebody else's licence and somebody shoplifting? Really? I shouldn't have to explain that to you. I mean, I presume you're an adult, unless you're a five-year-old and you've managed to master a computer. I can't, I can't quite understand how, you know, you have to have explained to you the difference between shoplifting and somebody just passing on penalty points. I saw the other day, they was, in fact, this highlights it beautifully. It was a guy on the motorway and it was an unmarked police car, but with uniformed officers inside it. And they were watching a Mercedes and they thought they'd seen it before because they followed him for about three miles. And he was weaving in and out of traffic. He was tailgating, he was doing everything. And eventually they, they'd had enough. And so they pull him. They'd followed him for, for miles. Absolutely miles. And so they pull him in. And one of the officers says on camera, he said, I'm going to have a... He said, I'm going to frighten him a bit. And so he said to the guy, the guy gets out, quite smartly dressed. He's obviously a, obviously a salesman or somebody like that. He said, do you, do you rely on your car? And he said, uh, yes, I do. And he said, well, I have to tell you, he said, I'm going to put you up in court and we're going to have you for dangerous driving. He said, they will pro- I'm going to recommend they take away your licence. And this man is quite clear. And the, and the police officer was playing with him. He was playing with him. He was just seeing whether he could shame him into admitting that he was doing dangerous driving. I don't know what the Chris Hume thing was. I mean, was it just speeding? If it was just speeding and you're passing the points on, it was what? For third or fourth time. But people do that. I mean, I see it all the time on the motorway. I mean, it's, it, I see it literally. If you had an automatic camera clocking people speeding, it'd be so much easier. He was doing 65 in a 50 zone. Oh, for goodness. I mean, Admittedly, it's the fact that he lied. Normally speaking, you just get the points. And that's it. But they eventually, they said to this guy, the police had pulled in his Mercedes, he went, well, he said, um, he said, do you rely on your licence? And he said, yes. He said, well, I'm, I'm just going to look on this, he said, as a cautionary warning. And the, I thought the bloke was going to cry. Because he saw his livelihood disappearing. Because once they take away your, li- your licence, what can you do? But he said, no. He said, it's just a cautionary warning. And I thought, that's it. So they don't treat it that badly. And that was dangerous driving and at speed. And at speed, 60, 50, you know, 60 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour in a 50 zone. There's not a lot in it. I defy anybody to sort of sit. But it's the fact that he lied. In itself, I don't think it's particularly serious. Cars bomb up and down the motorways all the time. 
I'm constantly sitting. I mean, I, you know, I have great opportunity to put my foot down on the road, but I choose not to. Not, not for my benefit, but for everybody else's benefit. That's what worries me. But when my, my goddaughter has got her first car, and I forget what they paid for it, but put it this way, the insurance is almost the price of the car. Do you know what the, the highest insurance, the cheapest insurance she was offered on her car, bearing in mind she's eight, 17, 18 now, and she, um, she was offered, it was either 2,700 or the most expensive insurance, 12,000. 12, I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? And it's because she's young and they don't want the responsibility. They don't want, and I've said to her, you know, you must never have any alcohol. If you're ever going out with friends, no alcohol, no nothing. Because you're, you know, for some people, they can actually drive after a couple of drinks. You're not supposed to, but they can. If you're young, alcohol can affect you greatly and your judgment can be impaired. And so I said, it's absolutely imperative that you do not have any drink. Because it's not you, you might make that one mistake... And somebody behind you might have had a lot to drink. You don't know what's, what's going to go on. You've got to be extremely careful. And that's why I think their insurances are, th- are through the roof. They are absolutely through the roof. 84850, steve at uk. Christian Scott Lee has applied to be on Come Dine With Me. Oh, I do hope you're joking. I do hope you're joking. What an idiot. What an idiot. Uh, did you ever hear the Trogs tapes? A recording of the Trogs having a Barney in the studio, says Howell in Newport. Musical incompetence, foul language and much recrimination. It's far too potty mouth for a broadcast, but very funny. You can find it online. But he, he did um, he did enjoy, didn't he, the crop circles. That's what he put most of his money into. <laughs> uh, Steve's ripping it again. Two Bob celebs and publicity seekers. Wasn't Space 1999 a Jerry Anderson production? It certainly was. It certainly was. Uh, thank you for your talk with Layla Morse. A rough diamond, you know, but a real diamond, says James. Keep it going. Dora Bryan is 90 on Thursday. 90 on Thursday. I'm from Luton, says Trevor, laying in bed. Reaper Tudor Clark, I still play her recording of The Little Blue Man. Do you remember it? No. She did a couple of films, didn't she? In fact, she did quite a number of films. And uh, one of them was the remake of Goodbye, Mr Chips which I still think is a great film, but I like the original version best with Robert Donut. That really is a very, very good film because the music is brilliant. News headlines with Sam Pittis. A 19-year-old man is due in court, charged with... Nick Ferrari, just after news at 7 o'clock this morning. What do you think the main topic of conversation is going to be today? I suspect, with the help of David Banks, the former editor of The Mirror, who's in the studio, they'll be talking about... Chris Hune, who now faces jail and the humiliating end to his political career after a dramatically admitted lying to avoid a speeding penalty. They could be asking what that means for the coalition. Plus, he'll be finding out how much our water bills will be rising as soon as it's announced. And with the government set to vote on gay marriage, they will be speaking to someone who's had their civil partnership fall apart about what they think of the idea. All of that and more. And a top Asian police officer who says chief constables do not understand the need for more Asian and black recruits. They've always had that problem, haven't they? That's always been the thing. It's very difficult to get people of ethnicity around our area. We seem to have everybody. We don't seem to have any problem. Perhaps it's the, perhaps it's the police force as a whole which doesn't have police of ethnicity. I'd, I'd quite like more more Polish police officers out on the beat. Because we're quite honest. I mean, it's, it's, it's just needed. There's so many more Polish people in the country. So it stands to reason. At the moment, the poor old traffic wardens do tend to be black. And they tend to get all the abuse from everybody. 
I still stand by what Clive Bull said years ago. If a traffic warden gives you a ticket, he's giving it to you for a reason. Only very occasionally do they make mistakes. Talking of making a mistake, here's Sarah Jane Hume in the paper today. Or Hulm. It could be pronounced Hume. Sarah Jane is 41. She goes to a, a rave taking her baby. She's 41. The baby is four-month-old son, Django. I don't know. I mean, I think you know where we're coming from on this one. Anyway, she decided to take the baby out. She was dancing with revellers at an ear-splitting drum and bass gig. And they are pretty ear-splitting. She put ear defenders on the baby, but worried ravers still raised, raised concerns. She told the son she'd done nothing wrong. She said he needs breastfeeding him, and so he has to be with me. In France or Spain, parents are encouraged to take their kids to music festivals. She's quite clearly an idiot. Quite clearly an idiot of the First Order. She's a National Trust Woodland Warden. Whatever in Dickens' name that means. And says, please search her for drugs, but said nothing about Django. She breastfed him until her daughter's band came on at 10pm and said he slept through the performance. She's been branded irresponsible and, uh, and disgraceful. But she said the other day, I couldn't leave him with anybody as he needs to be breastfed every couple of hours. I don't think I've been irresponsible at all. See, the trouble is, when you're dealing with stupidity, it's, you're dealing with a brick wall. It's, it's pointless trying to explain to someone. She doesn't understand, because she's got no idea. She thinks it's quite normal to take a four-month-old child to a rave. And they've got a picture of her with the child. So she's at a rave with a child. I mean, it's just, it's just wrong on so many levels. Anyway, the police have now said they're going to be liaising with social services. But as usual in this country, it'll be a whitewash, won't it? Nothing will happen about anything like that. And she'll just carry on. She'll probably be in the papers over the weekend, selling a story and probably get a reality show. Ralph in Chingford says, I was a cutting engineer in the 1960s and mastered the Trog's Wild Thing for Fontana Records. I thought at the time, what an amazing track. Yes, I mean, it's, yes, I mean, I, yes. The Trogs were... Somebody said that they used to be called the Troglodytes. Whereas I remember somebody called the Jimmy Caster Bunch had a record called Troglodyte out. Because I remember playing it in discos. Mind you, we used to play the oddest stuff. Marsha Hunter uh, et al., I think, in, in the discos. All good stuff. All good stuff in the early days. But they then abbreviated it down to the Trogs, and the rest is history. 71, he had a resurgence when they used his... Music in a film, Love is All Around, and that gave him a whole load of income coming in, and he spent it researching crop circles. He was a big fan of crop circles, and he loved to believe in the fact that little green men from outer space came down, and they created these magnificent crop circles. So, uh, barking mad and sitting on a cloud now at the same time. Did you watch the documentary, says Wendy, on the remains of Richard III? I didn't. I didn't. I am fascinated by it. I am fascinated because what you're going to see, and in fact you could see it online already, um, is the picture of the recreation of his face. What they've done is, and they, they, they can do it for a lot of people, if they find remains of somebody, they can build up based on the bone structure of what the person would have looked like so that if it's a murder inquiry, they can find out. In the case of... Richard III, they've got... There's a piece where the back of his head has been sliced off, so they're assuming that that must have happened at the battle. And there's also another... Looks like a spike or something like that could have gone in, so that would be probably what killed him at the Battle of Bosworth. He wasn't... Uh, he had scoliosis. He had scoliosis. They've, uh, they've proven that, and they've reassembled him, so you will see pictures in the papers today, or if you can't wait, you can probably go online and just type in Richard III, and it will show you the latest pictures of, of what he looks like. But it's amazing, I was watching them being interviewed on the news last night, standing by this hole in... How you find 
one person amongst what would have been, I suppose, a graveyard. And he was saying, now, here is where the church was, and here, on this side of where, where the body was found, so many feet down, is where the choir stalls would have been. And this, this church vanished. I think it's called Greyfriars, the church, which made it sound quite exotic, because every time somebody says Greyfriars, I think of Greyfriars Bobby, that little dog that they made a film about which apparently wasn't as true as people thought it, but it was a good Disney thing, very good Disney thing. And so they, they dig up Richard III. He's now going to be buried, I think, in Leicester Cathedral, best place for him, I suppose, and they've reassembled him, which is quite nice. But now you can see what he looks like, and that's what I think is interesting. That's what I think. Uh, read the hotel. I was sad to see Christian go. The hotel's gone into administration, says Wendy. I'm not at all surprised to see the hotel go. It was the biggest dump I'd ever seen on television. It was dirty, it was filthy, the food was horrible. Christian was the biggest waste of space that I'd ever seen in a hotel. One of those poor creatures who sort of floats around the reception. Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Uh, most of you seem to be saying the same thing about Paul Gascoigne. Let's hope it works. Let's hope it works if he's actually going to go to America. A lot of you are asking the question why, why he's gone to America when we've got perfectly good places over here. We could keep an eye on him better. I think the reason they've gone to America is it's going to cost the papers money to send journos out there to find out where he is. But they've, I don't know, he'll probably be two or three weeks in. And that, hopefully, will be the kind of thing that can sort him out. If it can't, well, then, you know, he's, we're all in trouble. Well, he is, certainly. Uh, bravo this morning. Says Ali Ross, who writes the TV. I love it when he does these sort of things. He says, its motivation may be suspect, but no one pours a more humiliating bucket of rubbish over Britain's psychic BS merchants than Philip and Holly. Latest chance at a crash and burn live was psychic belly button reader Jonathan Royal. He reads belly button fluff. He produces verbal fluff by poking around in your navel. An inward pointing belly button, you're introverted. Cracking stuff. Uh, an outward-pointing belly button, you're more of an extrovert. OK? Gets better. A well-rounded belly button, you're a well... Well, you get the point. Jonathan can no more navel-gaze your life than I can flubble the future with Fiona Fullerton's fun bags. And the proof of that, says Ali Ross, stood semi-concealed behind the morning screens as Jonathan poked away and announced she was getting an addition to the family very soon. That's what he deduced, until the screen went back and there she was, that well-known shrinking violet, Christine Hamilton. I think highly unlikely, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, another fraud on the television. They put them on there, we knock them down. It's as good as it gets. Other questions that he talks about. Great TV lies and delusions of the week. The one-show guest, Vernon Kay, I'll be totally honest with you, Splash is brilliant. Yeah. Unfortunately, Vernon Kay is the pants part of it, I'm afraid. ITV continuity announcer, Jonathan Ross, continues with another brilliant lineup on Saturday. And this morning's guest, Professor Brian Cox. We split off from our common ancestors who were so simple they didn't have brains 600 million years ago. As listings confirmed, the Jeremy Kyle show finished at 10.30. I do like the Jeremy Kyle show. It is, it is a chance to see, you know, some really good things. And I have to read this one out because I'm terribly sorry, but it is, it is quite funny. This morning, guest of the week, Eamon Holmes. Coming next on the sofa, we've got a woman who never wants to have sex again. And Ali Ross writes, though a simple Ruth Langsford would have done. <laughs> you have to laugh, don't you? You have to laugh. I love it. I think it's funny. So here it is, hacked to death at Bosworth Battle. And then just chucked in this grave. Poor old Richard III, uh, the last of England's Plantagenets. I used to know all the kings. We had to learn it at school. And so it comes back slowly but surely. 
And so now they've got... And there is a relative, a distant relative. And they know it's him because they've got the same DNA. And so their headline on The Sun today is, A hearse, a hearse, my kingdom for a hearse. Because having just sort of dragged the poor body up. And it is, it is pretty complete. But there are eight head wounds. He obviously wasn't particularly good even in battle. You know, get the king. Go on. And then buried 13 miles away. His feet were cut off by builders in the 1600s. I don't think they realise. And it wasn't really intentional to cut his feet off. But they've got the rest of him. And so now the uh, the site of the church, historic church of Greyfriars site, just sadly a car park for social workers. And it's all there, and they found him. And it's lovely. It's great. I love, I love stories like that. You know, when, when history comes to life... You absolutely love it, and that's why I was so sad when they decided to axe Time Team, one of my favourite programmes, my favourite programmes. Uh, Phil says, wasn't Greyfriars a school where Billy Bunter went? Yes, it was. He went to uh, Greyfriars, and it was the Greyfriars Bobby. Isn't it funny, Billy Bunter was that sort of comic figure because he used to eat all the jam tarts or whatever it was he ate, and now we still have fat children. There was one the other day on the television pitched up on some dreadful programme about chavs going off to a caravan park for their holidays, and they have all these ghastly singing competitions where sort of fat, overweight, chavvy children and their fat, overweight, chavvy parents sit there and sort of clap like moronics at sort of some poor creature who can barely string two words together. Small wonder that when they pitch up on the television, Simon Cowell goes, I'm really sorry. You know, we had those, those fat sisters who couldn't sing and then one hit the other one or they were friends or somebody. They all pitch up on television programmes now. Um, other one here. This is uh, from... Let's have a quick check, actually. So many of these uh, texts and emails to get through. On the subject of uh, Richard III, uh, the funny thing was that in the whole car park, they picked exactly the right spot to dig, says Mike. The car park was split into parking zones, and they began their first trench in the bottom R. And hey, presto, they found the skeleton. I mean, how do you find things like that? That is so clever. So clever. It's LBC 97.3. It's 5.30. Morning. I can't believe we heard on the news snow and sleet today. Please, no. So glad I brought my hat. Uh, I wanted to tell you about a really fantastic achievement, says Neil Steve, by one of your loyal Facebookers. Jill Salmon has just raised over 1,600 for the Life Bo- Lifeblood Thrombosis Charity by walking the entire London Underground Network overground. She was presented with a certificate at the House of Commons. A big well done to Jill. All very proud of you at Noreen & Co. And hi to all the lovely Facebookers. Yes, yes. Very, very good morning to everybody. And uh, today you'll need to wrap up especially, especially uh, well, because it's, it's going to be biting cold. I had the pleasure, says Therese, of dealing with Reg Presley during a previous employment. He was a genuine, lovely person. Might have been a little quirky. But we had many lovely conversations about music and he was a real talent. Yes, it was, quirky would be, a, would be a good description. Quirky, I quite like that one. Stanley Unwin was also in the film In for Trouble with Peggy Mount and David Kossoff. Says Timbo, David Kossoff. I remember David Kossoff very well. White hair, wasn't it? White hair he had. And there is, you remember how the trogs looked? And uh, Marcus sent me a link on YouTube so I could have a look at Reg Crop Circle Presley. Isn't it funny? He, he, because he made so much money, because they used that song Love Is All Around. I can't remember which film it was used in. I can't was it Four Weddings or something? Whatever it was, it made him an awful lot of money. And he just put it into crop circles. He was trying to find out if they, you know, if it really was little spacemen. We'd all love to believe that it is, isn't Well, some people would. Uh, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those. I'm far more realistic. 
about things, and I know it's students. Even, even if students went online and showed you the making of them, there'd still be those people going, ah, well, that was just that one. This one's far more complicated. And so you, you can't convince people, can you? Like the woman who took the little baby of four months old to a rave. You couldn't convince her because she's too stupid. She's so, she's so blinkered. Uh, I lost my Etch-A-Sketch and then felt all shaken, says Ian and Rosie. Well, I'm looking forward to having a gold etch A gold etch I mean, I can't believe it. So excited. So excited by that. Um, you have, um, I think you have a great voice for radio, says Maggie. That'll be useful, as it's been my, my chosen career for a number of years. Although I've discovered after yesterday's meeting, I can't sit on the floor anymore. I can't sit. We, I, I was late for the meeting because I was doing an interview. And everybody was in the, uh, we've got a little theatre. And they were doing the presentation of the figures, which always, I always enjoy it. Yeah, it's, but I, I normally get a seat. But because I was late, I had to sit on the floor. And when you're a kid, you can sit on the floor, pull your knees up in front of you. Well, I discovered that sitting on the floor at a certain age, and let's just call it 39 plus VAT, uh, is, is absolute agony. I kept moving my legs. At one point, I got cramp. I thought, I'm never going to better stand. I'm going to stand up and fall over again. And I, I think they all felt a little bit concerned for me. It was agony. I was in so much pain. <laughs> never, I kept moving my legs around thinking, oh, this is... I know, I should... People offered me their seat, but I thought, no, they're just offering out a sympathy. I didn't want the sympathy vote. Thank you very much, Judy. You are correct when you say lots of people have put their points onto the wife and husbands and girlfriends. Uh, I know I'm right. I know I'm absolutely right, because that's why. They say, who was driving the car? And you go, she was. <laughs> and they don't bother checking. It doesn't make any difference, I suppose, to them. It just, it's just putting points on. That's all they, it's all they care about. Um, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, I can't mention that one from Jay, but people would probably agree with you if I read it out on the programme. A little Judy says, if I ask nicely, can you do the Parker impression again? This is after what they've announced. I better just tell you the quick story. Thunderbirds is coming back there. They're doing it again, but it's a special animation. So there's no puppets or strings. And I said, every talks about Jerry Anderson. But in fact, Sylvia Anderson, who's very much with us, was really the, the brains behind Thunderbirds. And uh, she always gets forgotten. So I always like to push her up to the front again and go, Sylvia Anderson. And she was the voice of Lady Penelope. And I can't remember who did Parker. And so she'd be a very, very sexy voice like that. Very sexy. A little bit like Janet Brown when she used to do the Prime Minister years and years ago. And then Parker would go, yes, my lady. <laughs> I don't know why. You just think of a man with a moustache, don't you, whenever you see it. He was, he was fairly ancient, I'm afraid, was our Parker. Uh, Jeff says Chris Hume could face life as perverting the course of justice carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. Well, it's three years tops, they've said. Three years tops in the paper today. Uh, what should happen to him is he should be stripped of any money he's received in the last few years to help pay for any costs at the expense of the taxpayer. It was... i tell you what, what ruined it for him. It was the fact that he lied in front of the cameras. If he'd played it down... It could have all been brushed, but he was fighting it, and he went on television. This is absolutely not true. I will be fighting this in court. And you think, oh, as you're saying the words, you must have thought to yourself, if I can get away with this, this will be the biggest coup since whatever. And, of course, he didn't first day. He probably suddenly realised, probably suddenly realised, he told a few people that, yes, he did do it, and, yes, he had tried to pass on the uh, points, and so now he's paid, and so he's had to resign. So Eastley is now looking for someone which is sort of getting ever nearer where my brother is. I know Eastley quite well. 84850, uk. Uh, Jackie says, you put the image in my mind of your belly button fluff in the examination by the psychic whilst I was eating my breakfast fruits. 
How come women don't get belly button fluff? I, do you know, I have no idea. I think women do, it's just that they, they don't admit it. But it's also, it's useful, isn't it? If you're lying in bed and you're having chips, you put the salt in there, and then you can sort of, you know, that's how it works, I think. So get well soon to Diana, Ellen and Karen at the moment. Everybody's stricken. Everybody's stricken at the moment. It's not, it's not brilliant, is it? Uh, Richard III's been issued with a £60 overstay ticket from NCP for the car park. I want to know, actually, how they knew exactly, as, as Mike pointed out a short while ago, how they knew exactly where to dig. How they knew exactly where to dig. And they found him straight away. It's not like they had to dig up the whole car park. They managed to find him quite quickly. I'm assuming geothermal. And if you use geothermal, then you can you just move this thing over the ground and it will show you what is underneath the ground. And in the case here, it was Richard III, and you'll see the pictures on the internet. I did get the link yesterday to how the etch sketch works. In fact, we were fascinated. Absolutely fascinated. Steve, crop circles are done by aliens. Very boring aliens. <laughs> yes, I know. Um... Read Chris Hune, I've got no sympathy for him, says Lynn. You're right, it's not the offence itself, but the lie. Not a small fib, but a big ten-year lie. Yes, I mean, it, it, it's not a big deal. I don't think it's a, it's a big deal. It's the fact that he's lied for this amount of time. And he obviously thought, until he got into court, that he could get away with it. And presumably the brief said, you're not going to get away with this. <laughs> They're going to call your son. They're going to call so They're going to call these people you've told. One Direction cheat, Zayn Malik and Perry Edwards. Look, Ted overheels in love. Is this why uh, Duncan Barks overnight was talking about teddy bears? Oh, right, it was a different story about teddy bears. Because apparently, uh, to get away from the fact that he actually cheated on her uh, a week ago, I mean, she's dumb enough to take him back. She's only 19, so you don't really have many brains at 19. But he bought her a teddy bear, so it's a case of, I've cheated with somebody, and uh, by the way, is a, a seven-quid teddy bear, and now we're back together again. It's hilarious, really, isn't it? Because she's so plain in this photo. She won't like this photo because she's, she's carrying a bit of weight. The jacket she's wearing doesn't fit. She's wearing a shapeless, shapeless jumper. I mean, to be honest, I mean, the waitress was much better looking. Much better looking than poor old Perry Edwards. But anyway, at the time uh, they left after getting refreshments, the purple head singer had a cuddly teddy clutched to her chest. Oh, how lovely. So an even, it's a real cheap teddy. You know, this, this isn't even a Harrods teddy or a Selfridges teddy. This is a cheap, you know, nine ninety nine Clintons, get it free with ten boxes of playing cards or something. And so she seems fairly happy, but there she's 19. She'll be quite happy with everything, I should imagine. Uh, David Canadine has considered the enduring appeal of teddy bears for both children and adults. There's a name for collecting teddy bears. And I can't remember what it is. I'm just about to buy... Um, oh, I don't want to tell you, actually, because I've, I bought a short while ago, Stife did Sooty. And so I bought Sooty. He's not quite the right colour, though. He's not quite the right... But they're bringing out Sweep. And, I, and Sweep, of course, was always the, the put-down one in Sooty and Sweep. And he was always the one that we liked. So you can buy him in Stife. But teddy bears go on. It seems to say it. And because around the corner, and I hate to remind you, that very shortly a pile of naff roses will be landing on your doorstep because it's Valentine's Day again, which means that it's the moment in your life where you go out and you buy a tatty old bunch of flowers, and that apparently says I love you more than giving you a million quid. So all you cheapskates out there, and it'll be, it'll, it's aimed sometimes at children. And you go, and all the supermarkets, very soon, I should imagine within, what are we up to now? We're up to the fifth, within a week, they'll be having full adverts. Twelve roses, a pound. You know, it'll be something, fair trade roses or something like that. Because apparently, buying somebody a bunch of roses says I love you. No, it doesn't. 
Buying them a Bentley Anage, top-loaded, says I love you. Buying a, somebody a bunch of flowers is no use whatsoever. I hate it when they all arrive in this building. You go down to reception, come Valentine's Day, <coughs> and some of the female presenters, never happens to the men, get these things delivered, these huge bunches of flowers. And the more popular the presenter, the bigger the bunch of flowers. I never get anything like that at all. There'll be boxes of chocolates arriving. You know, I tend to find, if you really want to make an impression, take it, just arrange a box of chocolates for yourself. OK, just send yourself, at work, flowers, boxes of chocolates, and then get, when they arrive, go, what, for me? Oh, I can't believe it. Because that would really annoy people here. If they all come into work in the morning and there's about ten bouquets on the desk, all addressed to Steve Allen, all in different handwriting. You know, saying, dear Steve, love you loads, want to be your valentine, that kind of thing. That would upset a lot of people in this building. Same as it upsets me every year when I see everybody else getting these blooming flowers. And flowers do arrive in. Ian Dale gets flowers. Oh, that's who we were with yesterday as well, Ian Dale. Ian Dale. I, knew the, there was, I was trying to think who was sitting next to me. And I was going round the table. So after we'd, had, after we'd had the meeting, we all go out for a nice cup of coffee. It's terribly expensive coffee in London. Not surprised all these places can barely struggle and make a living for the tax man. But uh, we had um, uh, Nick Abbott, Clive Bull, Anthony Davis, who looked like Nanook of the North... Then we had James Max, <coughs> always wants to sit next to me, and um, who else? James Whale, and then Ian Dale was there, who looked like he was a reject from The Sound of Music. I expected him to burst in to climb every mountain, because he was wearing one of those long, sort of Tyrolean-type coats. Very nice, with a, with a very uh, a very garish scarf that went along with it, but by golly, we were cold. Uh, Chris Hune, Steve, will probably get a year in jail, and probably only do a third of it. Yes, it's, it's the fact that he lied. That he's brought down his career. What do you think he does now? What will happen? I don't know what will happen after this. They'll find out, I should imagine, with Nick Ferrari this morning. He's, he's going to be talking about it to uh, a barrister called John Cooper QC. Maximum sentence here, three years for that. Three years. But he wouldn't serve three years, would he? David Graham did the voice of Parker. And also Brain, says Simon in Harleston. Thank you. He also did Gordon Tracy. Yes, I, I interviewed David Graham quite some time ago. Quarter to six is the time. News headlines with Sam Pittis. A 19-year-old man has been charged with the murder of teenage... Look at the four pictures of Richard III who came back naked from the Battle of Bosworth. Obviously his clothes are worth more than he was. And so slung over the back of a horse. Because when they found him, his head was all to one side. It was it sort of moved down. And the producer said, oh, perhaps, you know, it had moved. And what do you mean it moved? What, he was still alive? When they buried him, she said, no, you know, as the flesh came off his body. He's like, no, don't talk about it. This man could have relatives listening at the moment. They've reassembled him as it is. Well, he was 400 years. What, he must have had lineage. Must have been some sort of lineage going on. I mean, honestly, if I was part of his family, perhaps they'll pitch up on the Jeremy Kyle show, you know. We shouldn't have dug grandfather up or something like that. That'll, 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 that'll pitch up later, won't it? I was just uh, quickly checking, actually, on a, a lot of the uh, texts and emails, and I did get uh, one from Ben... He says, I do look forward to your show. You make me laugh. And Mike Batt, my friend Mike Batt, is over in Florida. He says, I'm out here in Florida. Have a good show. I love the idea. I, bet my, I love Mike Batt. I do like Mike Batt. Very much so. And uh, lots more of your uh, emails and texts. David Graham. Thank you, Simon in Harleston. And, uh, and then the weather, I'm afraid. It's amazing how many of you seem to enjoy the snow. I can't quite see that. Not the best thing. Um, 
Chris Hune says, Andy is typical of many politicians. They convince themselves of the truth of their own lies. Well, I think what they do is they actually try and think they can bluff it through. The reason we are told on the front of the Metro today that he told the truth is that his son said he would go to the police. He said, we all know that you were driving. And he said, accept it or face the consequences. You told me that was the case. Or will this be another lie? And then Hune wrote back, I have no intention of sending Mum to Holloway Prison for three months. His son then texted back, are you going to accept responsibility or do I have to contact the police and tell them what you told me? And then they got these angry texts backwards and forwards. Terrible, isn't it, really? But, uh, it's brought him down. Much, isn't it funny? You do get that, don't you? We've had, we've had mums and dads shopping their children for drugs and for all sorts of dreadful things. I've never heard of a son prepared to shop his own father who is somebody as well-known. I mean, his, his, his resignation, I suppose, from, uh, from Eastleigh will be, I think, a closely fought... I should have asked Ian Dale about this yesterday, because Ian Dale had heard the news. We were just about to go through the meeting, and he went, uh, oh, I've got to go, he said. Chris Hewn has just changed his plea to guilty. But the Liberal Democrats, I think, will be defending that. It's a 3,800-plus it's a uh, majority which came in the 2010 general election. I think that was 55th on the Tories' hit list. 55th. So that's going to be very interesting to watch, I think. Uh, he previously contested. Nigel, Far- Nigel Farage, incidentally, confirmed he was considering whether to stand. Because that, that Tory vote could be hit by UKIP. It could certainly be split, I should imagine. So we'll wait and see, will we not? Uh, I see that they were the baby grow suits that became a global hit. Now there's two become one. Asda have a limited... Supply of these uh, his and hers baby grow things. It's, we're buying these things. They're rubbish. 25 quid. I mean, who's buying them, for goodness? I mean, they must be idiots. The onesies were bad enough. Now we've got this other thing, I'm afraid. Paul Gascoigne in the papers today because he's off to America. He's gone over there. And hopefully he might actually come back a different person. I suspect maybe not. And despite his bad boy reputation, Toff comic Jack Whitehall, another one deeply unfunny, I'm afraid, wants a chat show co-starring his dad. He said, we've had a great response to the idea. Not from me, you haven't. Not from me. Lots of pictures of the people uh, of a, a young man who died. And it's, this is, we've had the onesie wedding, now we've got the onesie funeral. He was a, a former soldier, Jamie Lawrence. And he had hopes to rejoin the army, and they thought for his funeral they would spend... They spent more than £450 on onesies to be worn at his funeral. So it was a a celebration. They always describe a funeral as a celebration of somebody's life, so that people don't get too depressed about the whole thing. And then they've got lots of pictures of his uh, mum and his friends. I think they look ridiculous on blokes. I'm sorry. I could see girls wearing them because they look look a bit like a pyjama party. But I'm afraid anybody else wearing them, I mean, you're just the lowest of the lowest. It's 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 a chav outfit. It's, a ch- it's all right to wear it indoors, OK? If you wear that, that I know I've seen that this... But look, it's a chav wedding, you can see. And if you look at the people to rouse it, you have to look at the bloke who's getting married and the wife. She's got the Croydon facelift. You know, you know it's chav wedding. And it's also cheap, isn't it? I mean, how many people have a kid dressed up as Batman going to their wedding? I mean, you know it's low rent, don't you? <laughs> you know that it's, it's not going to be particularly good. There's a, a Rachel... Rachel Benefair in the paper today... Uh, she had a gastric band surgery. She's won a payout after medics botched the operation. She did weigh 23 stone. She resorted to surgery after piling on the pounds as she suffered from uh, polycystic ovary syndrome. But a surgeon failed to close an incision in her stomach and she was put into an induced coma. She got £35,000 compensation. 
She had the botched operation. She was in hospital for five weeks in 2007. Not particularly good. Lazy men who spent hours in front of the TV risk halving their sperm count, so says research out today. It's so easy just to plump in front of the television. You don't need to do anything. You just go, and if you go to sleep, it's kind of a bonus. It's kind of a bonus. People, people love falling asleep in front of the television. People do it, and then somebody goes, you fell asleep. Like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You fell asleep in front of the television. I did not. And they'll stand there, you know, really, really being difficult about it. Talisa, very upset. Very upset. In fact, she's so upset she's wearing a blue velour tracksuit. You have to be really upset to wear a blue velour tracksuit. I mean, again, that's sort of not the kind of thing you wear here, but she uh, was worried after her footballer lover was left out cold and bloodied in a drunken scrap. This is Danny Simpson. He insisted he was fighting fit after taking on two people at a Manchester kebab house. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Such a class act. So we have a bit of a brawl outside a Manchester kebab house. But for the record, I'm OK. Two on one, well done. He was allegedly pulled from a cab after trying to flee a row. I don't know, you don't want to go to Manchester for arguments, do you, nowadays? People seem to argue left, right and centre. It's always outside kebab shops. I wonder why. Uh, Steve, Oakley Street in Chelsea opened following a fire. And uh, from Michael in Bromley, he says, I heard Sooty was murdered. The police think Harry Corbett had a hand in it. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Uh, What will Chris Hume do now? Don't be silly, of course, he'll write a book like all the others. Gosh, you're slow, Steve, says Sarah in Solihull. I bet he won't. We we get the impression he could write a book. Write a book about his, his politics. Because he can't be writing a book about how he decided to transfer points over. I mean, that's not going to be a very interesting book, is it? Or, failing that, a very long one. Uh, dare you enter Osama's spooky house of horrors, ride the water border, or experience Zero Dark 30 The Ride? The town where Osama bin Laden was found hiding has become the site of a giant amusement park. Lovely. However, rather than building Al-Qaeda towers, developers in uh, Abbottabad insists that the 50-acre park has been designed to boost tourism. It's got nothing to do with the terrorist leader, Bin Laden, who was shot dead by Navy SEALs in his bedroom whilst hiding in a compound in 2011. It wasn't much hiding, he was watching television, I believe. It's a case of we're looking for him out the world, we're looking, we can't find him, we can't, where is he? He's at home. He's watching television in a compound. Oh, really? Yes. Well, nobody told us that. I mean, that's ridiculous. But he was just sitting there. Yes, he was just sitting there watching television. He'd been sitting there all the time watching television, almost waiting for you to pop through the door. But the tourist minister, it's £19 million. It's going to have a zoo and serene waterfalls. How could a waterfall ever be serene? It's just cascading water. But it sounds quite a good idea. The compound where he hid with his wives and children, his house, was demolished, apparently last year, to prevent it becoming an Al-Qaeda shrine. I mean, everybody was laughing about it, weren't they? You know, where is he? He's at home. Never thought of looking there. No, they looked everywhere. Have you noticed? They were up in the mountains. They were over here. Their helicopters must have spent fortunes. And all the time he's sitting at home watching the television. Probably watching Play School and the Jeremy Kyle show, I shouldn't wonder. Bit of a shock to him when somebody broke down the door and came in. He wasn't really expecting them. Well, I suppose if he'd, if he'd read the writing on the wall, he would have known. I'll tell you what opens this week in the theatre at the London Palladium, and it is a good show. Whether it, whether it stands up in today's, in today's theatrical offerings, I don't know. We've got some really good stuff out there at the moment. Chorus Line is back. Chorus Line is back. This is the story, if you've ever seen the film, directed by David Attenborough, Richard Attenborough. If David Attenborough had done it, it would have had uh, monkeys and gorillas in it and things like that. It wouldn't have been half as exciting. And so Richard Attenborough, not very well at the moment, I have to tell you, uh, he, he directed a chorus line, and it was, it was wonderful. The story of a group of people 
who, in America, because it's tougher, they want to be dancers. They want to be dancers in a show. They're casting for a show, and that's all it is. It's a story about the casting for a show and the trials and the tribulations and the problems that they have and the age, because dancers in America are very much older. It was always a great show. It was a great film because you were able to go outside of the theatre. But they whittled them down. They whittled them down. There were hundreds of dancers. Whenever you get jobs coming up and there's dancers involved, hundreds of people turn up. They all go down there, and you've got to push yourself to the front to make sure that you're seen. And uh, when this opens at the London Palladium, it's a great show. It really is a good show. There's some, there's, you know, Wicked is a great show. Chorus Line is a great show. You must go and see it. I'm going to see Top Hat this week, and that has had some fantastic reviews. So I'm very much looking for... Because I quite like, you know, a showbiz Hollywood kind of musical. And Chorus Line is that, and Top Hat apparently is definitely that as well. Colin in Glasgow says, I open the curtains to see a blanket of snow. I hate it. It's only nice on a Christmas card. Thank you, Colin. It is. Well, of course, you have got... You have got snow up there. We, we can have a little bit this morning, but I haven't opened the blinds. You've noticed I've been quite good, actually. I shall have a, I shall have a quick peek in a moment. I'm a bit, bit of a peeker. I shall, I shall sneak through there and I shall open the blinds very closely and say, I'm, I'm, I'm a peeping Stephen. I'm one of those sort of people, you know, if our name was Thomas, it would have been slightly different, but I'm a peeping Stephen this morning. I shall have a look through because we have had it predicted. I remember uh, Sam Pittis himself only mentioned uh, a short while ago that there were some snow flurries. I always worry snow flurries lead to bigger things, don't they? You know, we're not, not going to be knee deep in it, are we, by the weekend? It's just going to blow in and then pff, blow out again. I'll do it not in Glasgow. Everything white. He's opened his window. He's, he's undercover. He's, he's, he's in a snowdrift, this poor blow. Just see his little eyes peering through the snow. It is the only time, though, your garden looks like everybody else's. It's good, that, isn't it? Then you don't need to worry about whether you've cut the grass or planted your beds up or something like that. Nice bit of Floribunda, as I say, at this time of the morning. I like things like that. Oh, I love Floribunda. What's the matter with Floribunda? You can't, can't you? That's what flowers. We're flowers. What do you think it was? Sounds like a cake mix, doesn't it? Today we're having Floribunda. Or the woman who lives next door called Flory, and her surname Bunda, but it's not like that. Coming up to the news at six. I knew eating fruit this morning was healthy for me. I've gone all healthy because it's Tuesday, and I'm trying to make the effort. So it's maybe slightly crazy. I have to be honest. That's it, Sultanas. Or were they plums? I don't know. News is next on FM online. Eight holes in his head, apparently. Poor old Richard the Third. Imagine, imagine that. That was a rough battle, wasn't it? I wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. I'd have sat on the horse on the outside. You know, well, there's nothing that's wandering around in the woods going, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. I'd have gone, get me out of here as quick as possible. Don't do battles, I'm afraid. But at least it's been confirmed. At least it's been confirmed. Uh, Richard Attenborough made Gandhi as well. Yes, that wasn't goosey-goosey. That was uh, the other one. Although, actually, Gandhi is in Madame Two Swords as well. There's, there's everybody in there. And then, as I said yesterday on the programme, for some inexplicable reason, Mohammed El fired. I couldn't quite work out why Mohammed El Fayed was there in in the same room with Gandhi, Hitler, um, David Cameron, all these other people. If you're going to put businessmen in, why is Tiny Rowlands not in there? Why, you know, there were loads of other people I could have thought of apart from Mohammed El Fayed. Unless they were just thinking about perhaps he's filling up space, I don't know. It, it, was, a, it was a very strange one. In fact, I had to actually look at the nameplate to make sure it, it probably was. Chris Hume says, Alan... We'll probably pitch up on the next series of I'm a Celebrity. A lot of his son's got nothing to do with it. There's quite clearly no love lost there at all. They're falling out big time, I'm afraid. Uh, a lot of you worrying about roses and worrying about Valentine's Day. Because you don't really know, do you? I mean, should you send a card? 
Should you send a card, I mean, to, to a stranger, if there's somebody you really fancy. I've noticed that every day the Metro are full of strange people who've met somebody on the tube, but they don't know who they are, and so they send a little message via the, uh, via the Metro. And some of them are really quite bizarre, you know, to the girl I saw the other day who winked at me. Want to meet for coffee? You think, whoa, I mean, that's, this isn't the way to go, is it? So I was hoping to find some today that would make it marginally more entertaining, because I just think you sit on the train, you read your newspaper, and then you get off the other end, and that's it. I don't look at anybody else, unless I absolutely have to. And I certainly don't want to meet anybody for some, some sort of relationship, but I appreciate the fact that as we head towards Valentine's Day, there will be many of you who will be looking for a relationship, on the train or otherwise, because it's, it's a thing that... You don't, nobody wants to be single on Valentine's Day, do they? Oh, that's dreadful. Single on Valentine's Day. Billy No Mates. Billy No Mates out there don't have a relationship. So people will be desperate. If you have to hang around at work and try and grab somebody, go, uh, do you want to go to the pub? Hoping that maybe it forms into some sort of relationship. But every single day, they have these... These lie. And so actually, called today, they don't have the blasted thing. Isn't it typical? I've gone all the way through it. I was so excited about Bin Laden and the fact they're going to turn his hometown into a, a theme park that I kind of missed all the other pieces. I, I occasionally read my star signs, but I've suddenly realised they're about as big a pile of rubbish as the people who tell you that they can read your belly button fluff. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Suit wearer who object. There was somebody complained yesterday about people who are going off to work in the mornings wearing dirty clothes, sitting on the seat. Many plasterers, and painters, and decorators, and says, and, and this this is one here from a plasterer. Suit wearers, it's headed, who object to us builders wearing dirty work clothes on the tube. That means the plan is working. I love an empty seat next to me. Standing will do you good as you've been at a desk all day. <gasps> Quite nasty, these plasterers. I thought they were quite nice people. It says here, uh, suit wearer, why don't you change into your suit at work? At least the plasterers are workers. And that's from Heather in West Yorkshire. She doesn't even have a tube. She doesn't even have a tube trainer. She's jumped in on our bandwagon. And then non-suit wearer from Essex. Suit wearer, why don't you wear dirty clothes and get changed at work so you don't get messy? It's unbelievable, isn't it? But here it is. This is the rush hour crush. To the girl accompanying school children on the 9.30 train to Moorgate on Thursday, you're very pretty. Coffee sometimes. I wouldn't touch him with a barge troll. He sounds like a stalker. This is Guy in black, grey, woolly hat. Well, you don't want to go out with anybody with a grey, woolly hat, do you? Don't like the sound of that one at all. Another one here. To the tall guy in the green quilted jacket who gets off at Tunbridge Wells, you make me smile overhearing your weekend adventure. How about starting one with me? And that's from Shy Girl with Coral Scarf. Dear. There's another one here. To the tall brunette hiding her face between her hair and Kindle before getting off at London Bridge. Let me know if you're free on the 14th. From Anonymous. Why are you going to know? Do you stand on the train and go, whoever wrote about me the other day, you'd have, you'd have to sit on the train thinking, oh my God, it's a stalker. It's just, he's on this carriage. He's on this carriage with me. They call it Rush Hour Crush. To the cute brunette who got on the eastbound train at Mansion House on Wednesday at 17.30-ish with the purple Kindle case and boots bag. Your smile blew me away. Coffee sometimes. And that's from Guy Who Gave Seat Up for Pregnant Lady. Oh, no. You don't want to go out with these people. They're horrid. They're horrid. They're stalkers. Listen, they're loonies. They're right into a newspaper hoping to meet you. So you're sitting... They don't, they don't tell you their name and phone number. They just tell you they're on that train and they're watching you. 
know, watching you very carefully. I mean, I hope nobody ever writes, you know, to the attractive young man in the hat with the uh, rakish scarf around his neck who gets off at Twickenham every day. Fancy a coffee? I mean, I'll be on the phone to the police immediately. No hanging around there at all, I'm afraid. Uh, Barry Norman, the best British films of all time. The list is in the papers today. And it's amazing how how many old films have made it onto the list. And they're in the top ten, which is good. Things like Skyfall are at the end of the list, but at least it's on there. We've got uh, films like Zulu, Ipcrest Files, If, Kez, Railway Children, Whiskey Galore. I don't know if you ever saw Whiskey Galore. That's an old Ealing film. Comes as part of the box set. We can buy it. Black Narcissus, The Red Shoes, Great Expectations, Brief Encounter. Brief Encounter was the one that I always loved doing it. Set in the railway station. And she sits there and things were of a different period. And I missed him. And I saw him on the other platform. And my heart missed a beat. And I thought, oh God, I hope I see him again. And they all sit there. And it's in the days when you had women who used to do the tea bars and the stations. Like another Chelsea Bandieri. She'd say, having a cup of tea. I saw him once, and I, I wanted to see him again. It's all terribly British. Great film. Brief Encounter, made, strangely, in 1945. I say strangely, because it, it stands up really, really well. Henry V, made in 1944. I remember going to see that. That was God for Harry, England and St George. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, I've never seen. The Lady Vanishes, 1938. But the top film, they reckon, for Barry Norman anyway, The 39 Steps which was made in 1935. Kind Hearts and Coronets is in there, The Cruel Sea, The Dam Busters, The Servant, Bridge on the River Kwai. I'll tell you what's not on there, though. There are, you know, there's, there's good films like Shakespeare in Love, Gladiator, The Full Monty. But there's not things like Goodbye, Mr Chips, which was a great Robert Donut film. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the music on it, because it's such good music. David Beckham has ensured his joint fortune with wife Vic will remain untouched by the taxman during his time in France. Uh, he would be liable for a 1.5% wealth tax if he spent six months a year in France, but his deal's only for five months and the family will stay in London. So he'll only get £2,000 a month from Paris Saint-Germain, with his £700,000 a month pay going to a Paris children's charity. He will therefore avoid France's top rate of tax plus a 3% extra charge for incomes above 450000 plus 20% in social charges. They're not daft, are they? They're not daft at all. It's all carefully... Wor- Apparently Vic thought of all that. Oh, Vic thought... Of- I don't think she thought of that at all. I bet the accountant sat down and said, listen, if you do this, we can offset that against here, then you can donate to the charity, which is good. Brief Encounters at Carnworth Station in the Lake District. Very lovely. Carnforth. Still all set up as it's... You've been. Have you been there? And... And is he there on the other platform? And, and will we be? And then, and then all of a sudden he was gone. It was it was this it was this clipped British accent that appeared in films all the time. It was really really wonderful clipped British accents. So that's where it was filmed, Carnforth Station. How wonderful! I thought it was a set. It is actually a proper station. And did it look the same at Christmas? Did they have it decorated at Christmas? How lovely! Oh, wow. it's in the Lake District. You know, that's the only place I've never been, ladies and gentlemen. I've not. Well, I say I haven't been to. I've not been to Mars or the Moon, but uh, I've not been to the Lake District either. I quite, perhaps I should do that one weekend. A friend of mine said to me the other day, "She'd like to go to Cambridge." I said, "Well, go to Cambridge. Who's stopping you? Just get in the car and drive to Cambridge. Why do people make such a big deal about it? Go on, go to Cambridge." LBC 97.3. 97.3. And with Nick Ferrari and the team this morning as Chris Hune now faces jail and the humiliating end to his political career after dramatically admitting lying to avoid a speeding penalty. Nick will be asking what that means for the coalition. Plus, 
He'll be finding out how much our water bills will be rising as soon as uh, that's announced. And with the government set to vote on gay marriage... Nick will be speaking to someone who's had their civil partnership fall apart about what they think of the idea. And a full review of the day's newspapers, it's David Banks, former editor of The Mirror, who's with Nick Ferrari this morning. I always love seeing David Banks in the studio. I love it when they get together, those two, because it's either going to be a great argument or they might actually agree for a change. <laughs> it's, it's always quite interesting. But the, the, the funny thing is about water bills. I can't understand why the water bill can rise. Uh, why, why it goes up in price. We're only recycling it. It doesn't exactly stay in my body, otherwise I'd be the size of Lake Windermere. All I'm doing is borrowing it, and then it's going back into the system and somebody's cleaning it. Why should the water bill rise? We've got so much water. Don't want to go through the drought situation, do we, again? We were looking at pictures on the internet, having done the, um, the story about Brief Encounter and realising that it was filmed at Camforth Station. The station is as it was. They've obviously kept it. The nice thing about going up north, if you feel so inclined, is that there are heritage museums, and, the, and I love these living museum kind of things, and this is, the, I'm assuming it's a working station as such, but the waiting room is exactly the same. The little tea room in there, they've kept it the same, and I like it when things are like that. I don't like all the modern stuff. I went through Marylebone Station the other day, they sell hot dogs and everything. It's horrible. It's ghastly. You know, they've got all the big supermarkets there. I like somebody would go in there and they lift up a glass dome and there's a, and there's a stale piece of cake in there. And you go, would you like this one, dearie? And you go, well, I don't, what is it? Well, I don't know. She's picking up and looking at it and sniffing it, having a lick of it. She goes, well, I think it's a rock cake. You know, so that's, I like that kind of thing. The idea that somebody makes you a pot of tea. They've got a proper urn in there. Not all cappuccinos and lattes. And what did we have the other day? A macchiato. Have you ever heard of such a thing? A macchiato, ladies and gentlemen. We're all speaking a foreign language now to go in and buy a cup of coffee. But I do like it. Apparently, if we ditch air duty, that will boost coffers by 16 billion. The economy would get this huge boost if George Osborne axed the controversial air passenger duty. It's amazing, isn't it, now? Everything just costs more money. You can't go anywhere without it costing a huge sum of money. Tamara Ecclestone is ready to start dating again after splitting from her boyfriend, Omar Kayami. In July, she's taken her a lot of time to get over it. And she spent a lot of money, £30,000 in a club, as you know, on booze. And, of course, she spent most of her time going... She didn't look like she was trying to get over anything at all. Daniel Day-Lewis could be making some speeches coming up, I think, at the Academy Awards. I like the Academy Awards. I like anything like that. And uh, the Church of Non-Believers. Atheists are filling the pews at their services, while the new Archbishop of Canterbury says his own congregation continue to dwindle. And these are uh, services held in churches now. Far cry from all the other stuff. They sometimes put them on the television. It's, we know, people have got rock groups up inside. I'm a bit, I'm a bit funny like that. I'm a bit old-fashioned when it comes to church. I like, you know, an old-fashioned church with an old-fashioned service. I don't want people belting out rock songs, thank you very much indeed. But that's just me. Uh, there was a remake. Richard Burton and Sophia Loren, a brief encounter. Oh, that must have been ghastly. What a terrible pairing, if it was true. Uh, Terence says, my girlfriend thinks I'm a stalker. Well, she's not my girlfriend yet. It's an old one. It's good. Uh, now that you've given out the description on the train, says Carol, you'll have lots of secret admirers thinking, oh, that's who he is. And then there'll be hundreds of let's meet for coffee requests in the papers. You'll need to change your image. I had that the other day. We went out to Old Harlow, as you know, if you listened to yesterday's programme and downloaded the podcast. It wasn't the best meal, un- unfortunately. I was waiting for somebody to write in and guess what the restaurant was. But I suspect most people in Old Harlow are sort of there and they're sort of practically on their last legs, poor or Anyway, we came out of the car park and I got this email from somebody saying, he said, I thought it was you as I watched you walking across the car park with the family. He said, I was going to say something, but he was with the wife. So he didn't. <laughs> Still looking forward to getting a gold etcher sketch. Um, there's... Another story of the paper today, our ideal 
home, because according to the latest survey, the perfect home for most of us would be 10 miles from the coast. Oh, I'd like much closer. I've seen some lovely properties on the coast. I mean, really, you know, on beaches, practically on, just really look wonderful. Uh, Near to the countryside and with walking distance of a friendly pub where the landlord knows your name. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it, really? Banner Homes questioned more than 2,000 people. And uh, the other must-haves were good neighbours on both sides, because that doesn't always happen. And also, when, when, you, when you have good neighbours, you want them to be there forever. One of my best friends, she's got great neighbours either side of her. And even if she won the lottery, she wouldn't want to move because she'd lose her neighbours. And having good neighbours, well, once you've got good neighbours, that's, uh, that's a bit of a treat, I think. A bit of a treat. Uh <laughs> A lot of people talking about the uh, finding of Richard III. Uh, Holiday on the buses, not on the list of top movies? Sadly not. Sadly not. I wished. I wished, I'm afraid. Uh, John in Loughton says, falling asleep in front of the television, Steve, my dad would always say, I'm just resting my eyes. Never, never ever admit it. Never, ever admitting it. Uh, 84850, Steve at uk. Uh, Steve, you are perverting the course of justice saying your mates gave their points to somebody else. No, I didn't say they were my mates. Oh, you really must must listen properly. I can't bear it if somebody's slightly deaf and they can't hear things properly. I didn't say they were my mates. I said I knew them. I knew them. Nothing to do with me. If people, want, pe- people choose to tell me things, then uh, I have to pass it on, do I not? 84850. Somebody says, I wish you were on the tube, then I could chase you. I don't do the tube, I'm afraid, very often. Not, not very often at all. Uh... Talking of stalking, morning, goes Mark the Bailiff, which means he's off out again. And please say hello to Gerald, my good friend and neighbour, says Pat. He's now addicted to LBC, especially your programme, as it makes him laugh. Well, we're here every morning between 4 and 6.30. It might seem a ludicrous time, but I promise you, you'll be in good company. The rest of London gets up at this time. And this one here, Caroline from Chatham, she says, Steve, that makes you 42.9 if you're 39 plus VAT. Um, Does it? I thought VAT was 20%. That makes me 59. But, of course, I'm not, as you all know. I'm coming up 38, which is slightly worrying. Uh, how did they find Richard III with geothermal? He's been cold for centuries. Geothermal is the hot springs. Geo- geophysic, isn't it? Geophysic. Anyway, it's that thing that they move about. And they move it about, and then they can see what's underneath there. It would, it would, it would show up as a skeleton, I think. Time Slip was a programme that I remembered, says Cliff. I don't remember Time Slip. But the other about an alien boy with big blue eyes called Sky. He says, but thank you for making my mornings fun. Yes, they're never that much fun, are they, really, mornings? I'm looking forward to a gold etcher sketch. I'll let you know when it arrives, and then we can, we can share it. And from Noreen, she says, the thought of you sitting on the floor reminds me of school assembly a long time ago. And, uh, yes, <laughs> I can't mention this thing. Just please say hello to Emma on Twitter. And to all of those people, you can follow me at Steve Allen Show, at Steve Allen Show. There's a care worker here, not a very nice person, Sharon Walker. She stole from patients, terminally ill patients' funeral funds. She stole about £5,000. I mean, it's just absolutely dreadful. She's been ordered to repay it or face a further three months in prison. And she exploited a loophole. She took advantage. It's, the trouble is where there is money and where there are people who are frail, people take advantage. And that's why it's uh, never very pleasant. Reg Presley has died, as you know. The man who uh, fronted the trogs. He lost his cancer battle. But uh, he loved his crop circles. And as a man who has tattooed his name across the face of a woman he'd only met 24 hours earlier. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Almost as stupid as poor Kerry Coctona, who decided to have her boyfriend's initial tattooed behind her ear. 
I ask you. You kind of lose the will to live, don't you, I'm afraid. Let's quickly run through the last uh, minute of the programme. You can download, we'll have a, a free podcast for you up by about 7 o'clock this morning, and then there'll be the podcast of the programme up later. If you want to know about that, that's payable, but you can download from as little as £2 a month everything on LBC. Every every single programme, and you keep them. They don't, they don't disappear into the ether after a while. They disappear off our website, though. You can go back to 2009 at the moment, so there's enough stuff on there to download and keep well worth having and it's lbc.co.uk uh beware winter blasts are back say the express uh evans sent this is the fact that uh, three celebrities have paid for gaza to go for rehab in america uh, dad you disgust me this is the son's text to the shamed minister which they'll be talking about with nick ferrari this morning and the front of the daily mail the man who ran out of lies why do people do it save their skin i suppose we're back with you tomorrow morning thank you for your company you can follow me on twitter it's at Steve Allen Show. At Steve Allen Show. Have a great day. Nick and the team with you after the news at seven. I'm Steve Allen. Back tomorrow at four. Next on LBC, the morning news with Susan Bookbinder. LBC 97.3.